and welcome to this, the 20th episode of the Roundtable Discussions produced by Transparent Media Truth. This episode was recorded on October 6, 2020. As a result of widespread lack of coverage from the mainstream corporate and state media, many may not be aware of the fact that what is perhaps the most important trial of the century concerning freedom of speech has been in progress over the course of the last month. The extradition trial of Julian Assange should be of major concern for all of us, with headlines splashed across every major news network in the world. Instead, we find only a handful of fearless independent journalists willing to do what it takes to get this story into the public eye. Our guests today are two of those journalists. Juan Passarelli worked with Julian Assange as a documentarian for almost 10 years, visiting him multiple times in the Ecuadorian embassy during Assange's political asylum. His latest documentary, The War on Journalism, The Case of Julian Assange, follows the story from suspicious rape allegations through the asylum period and into the extradition trial, explaining, in detail, the leaks that upset the power structure and the links they go to ensure it never happens again. Juan's relationship with Assange gave him access to all the major players in the story. This is the go-to documentary for those who want to understand the importance of this case and its ramifications on journalists and democracy across the globe. Find out more about Juan's work at JL Passarelli on Twitter, or search for The War on Journalism, The Case of Julian Assange to see the film. Our second guest is up-and-coming independent journalist Richard Medhurst, whose YouTube channel provides a refreshing dose of activist journalism rarely found in today's mainstream news outlets. His passion and charisma comes through his reporting as he has the temerity to call a spade a spade and a war criminal a war criminal. While most reporters refuse to assign blame to those whose corruption is exposed, Richard's innate sense of justice compels him to call out the wrongdoings of those in power. He has brought this passion to interviews with such luminaries as Glenn Greenwald, as well as his in-depth analysis of the Assange trial. Find all of Richard's work on the self-titled YouTube channel, Richard Medhurst. Ostensibly, the trial pertains to the revelation by WikiLeaks of classified information harmful to the U.S. national security state. But in reality, the trial may set a dangerous precedent that would provide an example to any journalist around the world interested in divulging classified information that exposes criminal behavior by government and corporate elites. The message is clear. If you expose these crimes, we will lock you up and throw away the key. The silencing effect on journalists everywhere will be deafening as the fourth estate becomes neutered of its ability to act as the branch of government responsible for exposing corruption. Listen in as I discuss the details of the case against Assange with these two independent journalists, as well as the larger worldwide implications for freedom and democracy. I will be your host. My name is Doug McKinty. You can find my long-form interview program, The Shift with Doug McKinty, on Facebook and YouTube. I'm on Twitter at McKinty, or find all my work at www.theshiftnow.com. As always, I'd like to thank producer Rob Rubin of Transparent Media Truth for putting this all together. Connect with Rob at TransparentMED1 on Twitter, or check out all of the roundtable discussions at Transparent Media Truth on YouTube, 
or www.transparentmediatruth.com on the web. If you like what you're hearing, please contemplate becoming a patron of the show at www.patreon.com. Please subscribe, like, and share this episode to help spread the word, as we rely on listeners like you to distribute this podcast. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Juan Passarelli and Richard Medhurst to episode 20 of the Roundtable Discussions. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this, the 20th episode of the Roundtable Discussions. I'm your host, Doug McKenty. I'm joined today with uh, Juan Passarelli and Richard Medhurst. These two journalists have been covering the Julian Assange trial. So this is the second episode where we're focusing on Assange specifically. Um, And then I think we're going to get into some deeper conversations about independent journalism in general. Um, But let's just take a few minutes here at the beginning to have these guys introduce themselves in their own words, and then we'll take it from there. Juan, do you want to describe what you've been up to and and maybe why you're so uh, passionate about covering Julian Assange? Hi. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm an independent journalist. Um, I've I've been doing documentary work for years, Um, and I think I'm the documentary maker that has been had most access to to WikiLeaks. It all started in in 2010, in in October 2010, um, when uh, Sarah Harrison, who I was friends with, um, uh, called me up and said, hey, you you know, I was just fresh out of uh, journalism. Uh, I had a master's degree in TV journalism. Mm -hmm. I was just fresh out of that. And she calls me up and says, Hi, we, we need a, a guy with a camera to follow us, follow us around. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Who, who are they, right? So um, I, I met Julian that day. I was actually really pissed off at him um, because it was, they called me up to, to, with a camera at about half nine in the morning. So I had to rush outside London to rent a camera to go into central London and the guy shows up at like 1 p.m. And I was really, really angry at him. <laughs> Obviously, now that I know how he works, he was probably up until like 7.30 in the morning, right? So he was just having his normal sleep. Um, and um, and I met him and, you know, they described the gig. It was a simple gig of just filming them around. Uh, actually, it was my first gig. And um, uh, I filmed the... First, the, the weeks prior to the Iraq war logs release. Mm-hmm. And after that, I just realized the, the dimension and the historical value of this. And I just kind of um, gained their trust and was able to do it on my own. So I've been filming them ever since. Yeah, I mean, I checked out the documentary to prepare for this interview, uh, The War on Journalism, The Case Against Julian Assange. And actually, the thing that jumped out on me to me the most was like, wow, you had access to a lot of uh, really pertinent individuals, insiders in the whole scene and high level people, too. I mean, you really got some killer interviews for that. So I highly recommend it uh, to anyone that wants to learn more about what's been going on with Julian Assange. It was uh, really impressive to see the people that you were able to get access to for that. So, Richard, you want to take a few minutes and let people know uh, about the work that you've been doing and why you're covering the Assange case? Yeah, sure. So, um, my name is Richard Medhurst. I'm an independent journalist. I'm half Syrian, half British. I was born in Damascus, Syria. Um, I've been covering uh, politics now for about a year, you could say. And, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate uh, to, ha- to be given this platform, to have grown it 
And, um, you know, I, I cover my politics. It, it's rooted in anti-imperialism, I'd say. And uh, that's why uh, this entire crusade against Julian Assange has been so important for me because, uh, you know, uh, Iraq being next door to Syria, having grown up watching the buildup to the Iraq war and, and how this country was devastated and then uh, seeing more mass graves and more uh, atrocities being uncovered by the work of WikiLeaks and Julian Assange. I mean, this, this really struck a chord with me uh, since the beginning. And I always valued the importance of these uh, cables, of these releases, these publications, because WikiLeaks is really the, the tip of the spear leading the charge against anti-imperialism, uh, against imperialism rather, and in the essence of anti-imperialism. Because what governments want is to keep us in the dark. They, they want to keep people ignorant, uh, brainwashed, uh, acquiescent, what, insert whatever adjective you'd like, uh, complacent. And, and WikiLeaks just reverses that completely. It, it really forces people to, to uh, look at the truth. It forces the governments to look in the mirror. And um, it, it's, not just, um, it's not just Iraq war logs. It's, it's Afghanistan, the, the war diary. It's, it's also um, the Vault 7 leaks. It's mm -hmm. also the State Department cables. I mean, you can see really uh, so many aspects of how these wars have been abject failures, how uh, the United States doesn't really have allies. Uh, it has uh, people that it bullies. And, um, you know, th this has been really important for me. And also seeing Syria uh, be destroyed by this, um, these imperialist efforts uh, by the U.S., by the U.K. So, you know, it, it's really important for me. All this was, was born in the Middle East, but also as a journalist to defend uh, the freedoms that are at stake here. So, you know, I, I went to um, I was covering this extradition hearing since day one, and um, they've been making it extremely hard for journalists to get in, for journalists to to see what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, they even limited the number of, of seats in the press annex, the number of seats in the press in the public gallery. And I, I ended up going to London and uh, being there for for the the hearing, and that was really uh, something else to see that to witness that firsthand. Uh, and um, yeah, I'm just really grateful for Juan, for all the journalists who are, who are there, who are also abroad with remote video access covering the hearing, because it's really important. It's really the trial of the century. I don't think that's an overstatement. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I just want to compliment you, too. The interview that you did with Glenn Greenwald was just awesome. Uh, what a great guy to uh, have <laughs> uh, yeah. to get access to to do that interview. His uh, analysis of foreign policy is spot on and, and the whole Russiagate thing. So that was a really killer conversation. And people can go check that out at uh, your YouTube channel, right, which is just Richard Medhurst. So if anybody wants to check yep. it out, I would encourage all of our listeners to go uh, and check out Richard's YouTube channel for sure. So um, I think just to start out, uh, let's let's catch people up on what's been going on with uh, the Assange case. Is it it's completely over now, right? It ended last week, and and then the judge is going to come up with the verdict on uh, in January, right? January fourth, she said. This is what we're waiting yeah. on now. This is where things ten a.m. at the Old Bailey. Yeah, but it's far yeah, so, from over. Uh huh. Um, I I would I would like to maybe go back um, to before the hearing. Sure. Um, because it's it, it really starts uh, it, it really starts out way back in in 2010 uh, when when um, WikiLeaks re reveals five publications um, that al allegedly uh, come from Chelsea Manning. She has actually confessed to that, but WikiLeaks has never um, revealed the source. So that if you hear Julian Assange talking, well up to the point where he could talk, he, he would, uh, he, he would uh, say the alleged source, Chelsea Manning, and I kind of like to follow in that tradition. 
Um, but so there was a, a grand jury. Uh, it was known by 2011. There was, it was known that there was a, a grand jury investigation in Virginia, um, and it was very possible that the the um, they were trying to indict Assange under the Espionage Act. And um, this had never, has never been done before, um, um, you know, charging a, a, a journalist a publisher. If you don't want to call him a journalist, I don't even want to get into that debate. Mm. It doesn't matter. He was a publisher. He published information that was war crimes and, um, and that people needed to know. And uh, um, <clears throat> this went on throughout the Obama administration, but... Uh, by the by, uh, um, you know, late in the Obama administration, the the, the uh, case was all by all but dropped. Um, th- there's been um, a lot of discussion about this in in the hearing, actually, uh, and it's one of the points uh, yeah. that has been raised a lot because it makes it political. Obama decided not to press charges uh, because of the danger that it would set or the precedent that it would set on other uh, journalists. It would basically criminalize uh, uh, everyday journalistic practice, which is receiving information, sometimes classified, and, uh, you know, working with a source, Um, you know, asking questions, uh, going deeper in, can you get me this, can you get me that? That's normal normal uh, journalistic work. But in this indictment, um, they are treating it as a collusion with a source, and they are they are treating the receiving and handling of inf- of classified information as espionage. Um, so, so that would basically end journalism as we know it. And in that sense, we could go w- to what is really important. People don't really care about journalists. What they should care is about being able to know what their governments do in, in their name. And if right. there are no indiv- in, in, in the independent or investigative journalists who do this work, we won't be able to know. And this is the end of democracy. And this is where we're headed, not only in the United States, but in the rest, this, in the rest of the world. The U.S. is using its own laws. This is very funny as well. They're, they're using their own laws in another country. In- colony of the empire of Brit- Britain, right? So it's a colony uh, colonizing the old empire. Um, and, and they're using the Espionage Act in a place where he hasn't committed any uh, criminal act. The only criminal act he committed was skipping bail. He served a sentence. It was a very, uh, uh, it was the maximum uh, time um, that he was given for that. Uh, it was 52 weeks. Hmm. And um he served that. So right now he's been uh, 18 months in prison for for basically just uh, being on remand. Um, now, I, I want to go a little bit back on, on in history just to remind people about what this case is about. It, it is about um, the war crimes committed in Iraq and in Afghanistan, the corruption that was highlighted to uh, such a degree that, you know, the diplomats in the UN were uh, asked to to get DNA from Ban Ki-moon, the head of the United Nations at the time. We're talking about um, the murder of journalists, like we saw in the collateral murder video. We, we're talking about um, 
assassinations, as in there, there was a task force called, which was a, 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 an assassination squad, Task Force 373 in Afghanistan. Um, there was a list of uh, people that the President Obama signed underneath each uh, week on, on Tuesdays who were droned in Pakistan. Uh, we're talking about a cable that was so uh, important in the um, in how the Iraq, Iraq war developed that it actually caused President Obama to, to remove most of the troops uh, from the ground because it described how a coalition uh, uh, coalition forces went into um, into a farmer's house and they uh, handcuffed him and his family. That was him five women and five children, and they executed them in cold blood. And then they ordered uh, a warplane to, to put a couple of missiles in the house just to eliminate the evidence. This caused the prime minister of, of Iraq at the time to remove the immunity of the soldiers on the ground, the U.S. soldiers on the ground. And that forced President Obama to remove most of, of, the, mm -hmm. of, of the military uh, at the time. We're talking about um, CIA um, um, torture programs and uh, and how 95% of the people detained in Guantanamo were not the terrorists, the major terrorists that we thought they were. They were actually most most of them foot foot soldiers and and even a little a 13 year old kid who was kidnapped by the Taliban. Then he was renditioned, which is basically kidnapped again by the CIA put in a black site, tortured, then ended up in Guantanamo because he may ha might have some information about his original characters. This is the, the reason why they are putting Julian in the deepest, and they're trying to put Julian in the deepest and darkest hole uh, for 175 years. Um, and they can only compare his sentence and his treatment uh, in U.S. prisons uh, to 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 terrorists, to actual terrorists that tried to bomb planes, like the underwear uh, bomber who, who failed, his explosives failed to to uh, to explode, and other um, Al Qaeda operatives that uh, are not even allowed to, to to talk to anybody or their lawyers about their case. So this is uh, this is how unprecedented um, this situation is. Mm -hmm. um, one more thing. I'm sorry, Richard, if I'm taking more time. No, no, please go ahead. Go ahead. It's very important to know what happened throughout the hearing. The hearing was divided into two, one week in February, and then there was going to be three weeks in May. Then COVID happened, and um, he um, the, the hearing got pushed to September. And there was a monthly administrative hearing. But what happened was in June, on June the 24th, the, the, uh, the Justice Department of the United States uh, published a superseding indictment. This superseding indictment was not given to the courts in Britain. So it was impossible for the lawyers of the defense to talk about the superseding indictment, even though everybody knew you know, all the media had reported, and it it increased the scope not only to the five publications, but other alleged actions he he or other people in the organization took uh, um, 
up to 2012 in the Snowden situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they waited until three weeks before the hearing, the last administrative hearing in, on the 14th of, of August, when there was no way to submit any more evidence uh, to remove the extradition um, request that they had handed over and put in a new extradition request. Uh, and then that way, being able to bring the new charges over, or it was the same 18 charges with an expanded uh, amount of, but but they didn't start the process. So he went into he went into court without seeing his lawyers for six months, without being able to read the new indictment until the night before the hearing started. And when the lawyers asked for more time on the first day, it was denied. So they haven't been able to to properly defend his, his their client, which sure. is Julian Assange. So I mean, this whole trial has been a, a complete shambles since the since the beginning, and since 2010, he's been arbitrarily detained since 2010, uh, according to the UN. Well, I mean, it's just fascinating to me, just like you were mentioning that here's a, a reporter or a publisher who's publishing classified information. This is the big deal. But what happens when governments uh, or, you know, imperialists <laughs> uh, are just classifying their long laundry list of war crimes because they don't want people to know? I mean, come on. It's like, what's the function of journalism in the first place, if not to uncover these crimes? And it's just crazy to me that they can go after this guy who's exposing war crimes and then saying, well, you know, you, you're a spy. This is national security. You can't, you know, yeah. you can't expose our criminal behavior. <laughs> like, and, and, the, and that anybody even falls for it. It boggles my mind. Yeah, Richard, go ahead. Yo, what's, what's crazy is that we heard this uh, from Daniel Ellsberg. Excuse me. We mm-hmm. heard this from Daniel Ellsberg testimony, who was um, working on the Pentagon Papers and who was also charged on the, the Espionage Act. Uh, you know, they, they tried to apply the same template to him and, and sure. many others in the past, but unsuccessfully. And uh, he, he's talked about how when he was uh, working on the uh, Vietnam War and, and the Pentagon Papers, the comparison between uh, what he published and what WikiLeaks published. So uh, the things that he published under the Pentagon Papers, these were top secret documents. These were actually classified uh, in, a, in a high uh, regard, whereas the things that Chelsea Manning gave to uh, Assange were not, and and right. it, it, he spoke to the degree of uh, normalization of war crimes and desensitization that you had not not only these war crimes being classified as field reports, which he would fill out himself back in uh, Vietnam, but uh, moreover that you had hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of people, which you also heard from um, uh, other uh, expert witnesses in the trial who had access to um, uh, the. DOD's classified network and and um, these these files. So the, Chelsea Manning, if, if it wasn't Chelsea Manning, it might have been somebody else who had taken these files, right? And uh, they you would easy access to them because they're not even bothering to cover them up anymore. And it, it really speaks volumes to the degree of normalization uh, which Daniel Ellsberg so eloquently pointed out. And uh, you know, as um, <clears throat> as Juan uh, mentioned. The focus of the trial is is Assange now, but it really shouldn't be. It should mm-hmm. be the war crimes. They're trying to distract us from what WikiLeaks actually published. You know, we have a journalist on trial in in the English and and Welsh Central Criminal Court. It, it should be Tony Blair. It should be uh, Donald Rumsfeld. It should be these people yeah, right. who actually started these wars. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you know, and and actually, in twenty seventeen, a UK court, uh, high court, blocked a prosecution against uh, Tony Blair because they they said that there's no English law that 
um, that forbids a war of aggression. I mean, <laughs> look at these mental gymnastics that they're going to, yet they're perfectly fine with implementing or trying to implement U.S. law in, in a U.K. court. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's really astonishing how the how one-sided the UK-US extradition treaty is from 2003. You know, just keep in mind, when it comes to Gary McKinnon, who is also uh, fighting a 10-year-long extradition battle, um, he allegedly hacked into the uh, Department of Defense, into NASA. Mm -hmm. uh, in 2001, 2002, this is before the Extradition Act even existed, and they still used it against him retroactively. So just like the Espionage Act, these are political tools, and uh, they're, they're used against political uh, opponents against the journalists against whistleblowers against anyone who goes against the uh, imperialist narrative and so uh, you know fortunately for him he was not extradited uh, although I, I imagine after a 10 year long battle that was that must have taken quite an emotional toll um and you know uh, it really is a one-sided extradition act because you don't actually need a burden of proof um uh, you don't actually need to prove that a crime took place just a, an allegation uh so to speak will suffice and and that's really what's happening here and so um the judge i think she's been uh, quite unfair. I mean, uh, as Juan mentioned, the, on the first day, she refused to throw out what is referred to as conduct. So this is all of the spam, the narrative, the extra details that they added into the superseding indictment, which aren't new charges. But it makes a difference in the U.S. because it can lead to harsher sentencing in the U.S., even though it's the same counts. It's 17 mm -hmm. counts of uh, under the Espionage Act, each one carrying 10 years, and then one uh, count of uh, Cyber crimes carrying five years under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. And so it's, uh, it's 175 years. And it's just like with Gary McKinnon, he, who's facing seven years, you know, they expand the crime into several counts so they can make sure that even if they get just a quarter of them uh, uh, convicted, then, you know, you have Assange going to jail for 30 years, 40 years, which is akin to a life sentence at this point, right? Right. Right. It's 50 years old, 49. It's a, it's a life sentence. And so uh, they do this on purpose and it, it's very one sided. And, um, uh, you know, I I just think the the judge she she her refusal to throw out this conduct, which was just you know things saying like, uh, oh Assange uh, allegedly solicited the services of LulzSec and AntiSec and all these hacker groups, and you know baseless accusations. Some of them actually were disproven in in courts before in the UK because you know um, they had actually uh, uh, convicted uh, three of them I think in in Southwark, and so you know if Assange was guilty. Why wasn't he implicated in that court case previously when you actually looked into these hacking groups? It had nothing to do with it. That's why. And nonetheless, they're still putting it in the indictment so they can add this narrative, the spam, and saying things like, oh, he allegedly helped Snowden evade the authorities in Hong Kong. You know, th these are not actually even crimes. They're just nonsense sure. that they put in there to make Assange look like some criminal mastermind or some evil genius. And this will carry a lot of weight, of course, in a, in a, a U.S. court, although uh, – I don't think it was even necessary because uh, the jury is going to be made up of people who work at the CIA, who work in uh, the intelligence community. That's why they always file these indictments with the federal jury in Alexandria, Virginia, because uh, these made up of these people. It's made up of this pool of people. And they did, they did that with Lori Love. They did that with Gary McKinnon. They did that with Chelsea Manning, Julian Assange. It's always the same uh, espionage court, as they call it, in the Eastern right. District of Virginia. So, uh, you know, the judge's refusal to throw this out on the first day. Is, is an abomination because Assange was rearrested the morning of the hearing and he wasn't even given time to look at this new superseding indictment and prepare a defense. So, I mean, I can't name anyone who's been dragged off to court the same day and they can't even look at the indictment or the warrant or the crimes they're charged with. And, uh, 
you know, this also threw the defense off guard of it because they had prepared, they'd spent months preparing a witness list, preparing a defense based off of the second indictment. And now a third one comes along out of the blue and the judge refuses to throw out the conduct, which would essentially notch it back to what the second indictment looks like. And then they asked for an adjournment until January, which she also refused and just essentially proceeded with the court case and with the hearing. And uh, something that really uh, was unconscionable is how she tried to uh, get through the witnesses as fast as possible. Mm. You know, basically at the end, on the second last day, so day 17, they read about – the defense read about eight, nine witness statements into the record because there was no time to let them come and actually testify via video link or in person. And this is all because of the judge because she just wants to get through the case. And uh, at one point, she – and this included Noam Chomsky, by the way. This is also included two witness testimonies from UC Global, the company that spied – um, on Assange uh, in the Ecuadorian embassy on behalf of the U.S. intelligence services. So, mm-hmm. I mean, these are explosive testimonies, and we're being forced to to have them read into the record as opposed to actually hearing the witnesses. Although, to be fair, the the two uh, uh, witnesses from UC Global they would have probably uh, stayed in a written form because they want to remain anonymous. But no, nonetheless, I'm sure Noam Chomsky, for example, wouldn't have minded actually <laughs> uh, uh, testifying via video link. And you had, for example, Khaled Al Masri, who was. Um, a German citizen was tortured by the CIA. He was kidnapped in Macedonia and handed over. And the judge refused to accept his witness statement at first in written form. And then they tried to bring him in to actually testify. Uh, and the it video link doesn't work all of a sudden, mm-hmm. which is weird because when they want to drone strike people, the video links work. On it always works, globe. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. But now when they want someone, a CIA torture victim to testify, now it doesn't work. How odd. Yeah. So, right. Can't I mean, figure this, that this out. Whole, Can't figure the tech out. <laughs> yeah, this this is absurd. I mean, we're talking about one of the highest courts uh, in in the UK. I mean, come on. Um, especially during COVID, they've worked all these things out. But no, and you know, it's it's just really uh, abhorrent what the judge has done. And she even asked at one point if the U.S. presidential elections will affect the the hearing, which is an odd thing to ask because it's it's an admission essentially that the entire hearing is political, right? And it should be thrown out. Um, you know, this is. A, it's actually written in the extradition treaty between the U.S. and U.K. that you cannot extradite someone for a political trial. However, its implementation in British law, the Extradition Act, left that part out, which is very convenient. So they're trying to extradite him using the extradition treaty while also ignoring the part that says you can't extradite someone for a political trial. It's, it's really absurd. And, uh, you know, the, the fact the judge admitted or essentially asked the question whether the elections will affect the hearing is, is really an admission of, of uh, the fact that it's political because technically speaking, if we're playing devil's advocate here, if Julian Assange really did break the law, the law stays the law, whether it's November 3rd or November 15th, right? It shouldn't matter who the president is, but we all know he didn't break a law. This is a political trial. And so she just wants to know whether, you know, the, uh, whether Biden, for example, would continue to prosecute uh, Assange. That was essentially her question. Mm-hmm. So re- really just um, a sham trial. And the fact that the, blocked so many journalists. I mean, you had people with International Federation of Journalists cards. You had people with NUJ cards, but because they don't have the shiny hologram and they're Irish ones, they couldn't get in. Uh, you know, you had five seats in the public gallery. And I think it's really telling that they put the hearing right on the sixth floor at the back of the hallway. So you couldn't hear anyone outside, even though the courthouse is empty. So I think that was on purpose so that you couldn't hear the protesters outside. You couldn't hear the activists who were there every day. And they're really great. So a lot of respect and shout out to the activists for their work. It's also important to mention that um, because of the COVID conditions, the courts um, did uh, give access to several journalists who applied 
and also 40 or organizations that uh, uh, were political observers or NGO, ad, you know, freedom of speech advocates or human rights advocates like Amnesty International, Reporters Without Borders, uh, the International Federation of, of Journalists, and a, a whole swathe of, of, of these organizations, including members of the European Parliament and members of the German Parliament, who were given a link and access. And on the first day of the, uh, of the court, uh, the judge removed uh, them from having access to, to, this, uh, to this link. I, I watched the entire case through, uh, through a, a video link. Uh, and without any explanation, uh, the judge removed the, the, the link and did not uh, g uh, um, give it back. Uh, so so uh, the only uh, political observers were the ones who managed to get into the public gallery, which, as uh, Richard has just said, are five seats. And yeah. they were given, you know, uh, activists would, uh, would queue from five in the morning to make sure that uh, the assistant of a, a German um, member of uh, the European Parliament would get a seat. And to make sure that Rebecca Vincent from Re Reporters Without Borders uh, would get a seat, and so the amount of uh, political observers was was uh, was minimal, and they had to really, really, really work at it. Mm -hmm. uh, this is uh, this is not open justice. We're we're supposed to be one of the most developed um, uh, and mature democracies, and what we're seeing is is really. Uh, a, a humiliation, a really a, 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 a horrible tint on a country that is proud by its rule of law. Um, and we're, we're seeing a junior magistrate making decisions uh, that are, are above her pay grade as well. And almost and as who is also, by the way, a ghost. You cannot find anything about her online. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to bring up, uh, interestingly, that almost no representation by the corporate press either. The, the, the little press that is showing up are, are these smaller independent media outlets and uh, very little coverage yeah. of the whole case by, you know, again, just talking about the uh, in a functioning democracy, you'd think some of the larger uh, news corporations might show up to say a few words, but uh, no, almost nowhere to be found, huh? No, they, yeah, they mean, only used had, uh, two written pieces by the BBC. Uh, we had uh, one radio interview by also uh, a BBC person, um, and then no no te television coverage whatsoever. Uh -huh. To to their credit, the Daily Mail had a a, a, a daily update. Uh, the Guardian did some updates. I I don't think that's. U.S. media covered it at all, except for MSN, uh, on a couple of occasions. I, I don't know if you know of any others, uh, Richard. Right. Yeah, that, that's actually quite ironic, because I also noticed the Daily Mail were the only ones providing updates sometimes, which I think speaks volumes, because like, <laughs> if the Daily Mail are doing it, like, what, what is the excuse for others? There's absolutely none. And, um, you know, the fact that they, they allowed this to just uh, proceed over four weeks and, and barely mention it, including independent media, like a lot of people who are on YouTube and uh, part of the so-called left in the US, they, they, they mm -hmm. purposely ignored this. You know, you had people doing like one video, for example, and then dropping it. That's, that's 
grossly irresponsible, not to mention disingenuous, because they know perfectly well what's going on. They're not stupid. They work in news, and they're just acting as if uh, they they didn't know there was an Assange hearing. You know, like <laughs> the, the biggest threat to journalists, the press, uh, the press freedoms, and and journalistic. Um, uh, integrity, and they just glossed over it like it's nothing. It's really telling. And, uh, you know, as Juan said, I, I didn't notice any mainstream media whatsoever. I mean, I, the activists were queuing up. I was one of the people to get in the gallery. And and the fact they had to do this for us, for, for me, for uh, other journalists and other observers, it, it really speaks to how restricted this um, this hearing was. And, mm-hmm. and this goes completely against the principle of open justice. Remember, this is a public hearing in a public court, the central criminal court. They could have easily streamed this to everyone if they wanted to, easily. But you know, they're acting like it's um, so, something um, to be done behind closed doors. And that, that is very telling because that's exactly what it is. It is something being done behind closed doors. They want to put up these obstacles, these roadblocks, and make it difficult for people to follow what's going on because uh, this was a travesty of justice. I mean, the violations of... British common law, of, of U.S. law, of international law. There's no way uh, you, you can look at this entire hearing and not find enormous plot holes. I mean, um, the fact that they're allowing Assange to be extradited or, or potentially be extradited uh, to face a quote-unquote justice in the U.S., knowing that he was spied on in the embassy, uh, using right. uh, in gathering this tainted evidence. I mean, this is a clear violation of right to due process under U.S. law in the Constitution. It's a violation of right to a fair trial, Article 6 in the uh, European Convention on Human Rights. It's a violation of his legal privilege, Article 8 on the ECHR. Uh, it's a violation of uh, British common law. I mean, there's so many things wrong with this, and this is just one aspect. And you had a constant shifting of goalposts in this uh, in this hearing. You know, the, the prosecution would allege that, well, you know, if Assange is extradited, he won't go to a supermax uh, prison, and he won't be placed under special administrative measures. And we all know this is a lie. We all know this is a lie because it says so in the di- in the indictment. They they quoted Kronberg, uh, AOSA Kronberg, who's a, a federal prosecutor who conveniently could not be cross-examined for anything, even though he kept on being uh, referred to constantly. And uh, he made assurances that, you know, uh, maybe uh, Assange won't be placed under Sam's, you know, as if we don't know what's going to happen. And this is ridiculous because we know he will be taken to uh, ADC, which is Alexandria Detention Center in Virginia, where Chelsea Manning was placed. And he he will be put under Sam's. He'll put under these draconian uh, inhumane conditions where you're not allowed out of your cell except for one hour. You're allowed to, uh, one phone call a month, and you know you, the prosecution then tried to move the goalposts to say that well, you know, even if he is placed under Sam's, it's not that inhumane, and he can work his way out with this uh, step down program and trying to make it seem as if it's like a holiday resort, like he can gain one extra phone call a month. We're talking about a journalist here, not a terrorist, and they're they're equating him to one. And then they did the same thing with his mental health. You know, again, I don't want to uh, delve too much into this because of privacy issues, but um, the defense needed to argue that this uh, extradition would be detrimental to his physical and mental health. Because under Section 91 of the Extradition Act, you can block an extradition. And that's what happened with um, – uh, sorry, under the Human Rights Act. You, that's what happened with uh, Gary McKinnon, Lori Love. Their extraditions were blocked because they had Asperger's syndrome. And so they, they tried hmm. to refute this. The prosecution suddenly were doctors now, and they're trying to uh, uh, berate the most qualified physicians and psychiatrists in the country and uh, tell them their business and tell them that, no – uh, Assange doesn't have Asperger's. And, you know, maybe if he does have depression, it's a mild depression. And the, at one point, uh, Fazel, Dr. Fazel was at Oxford. I think he he was this is one of only two witnesses was called by the prosecution. He said that, well, Assange seems to be resilient. 
So that means sure. he has no higher risk of suicide. What? <laughs> like they're trying to use against him. Like, like oh, he hasn't cracked yet. Just give it time. It's, it's, it's really obscene the way they dehumanized him in front of him. Remember, he's in the court. He's, he's witnessing all of this in front of him. And, and uh, they did the same thing also with uh, the fact that he's a journalist. You know, one second they're saying he's not a journalist. And then they're saying, well, even if he is a journalist, we have the right to prosecute journalists because there's no legal precedent that says we can't. And, you know, they're citing the Pentagon Papers, for example, and saying that, sure. well, the case against Ellsberg, it was thrown out because of government misconduct and whatever went to the Supreme Court that didn't specifically bar journalists uh, from being prosecuted under the Espionage Act. And, and essentially, they were literally arguing that, yeah, the First Amendment is not absolute. We have the right to balance it out with national security. And in some cases, national security takes precedent. I mean, I'm pretty sure most Americans would not be okay with hearing that. But again, it's not going to be broadcast and media is not re reporting on it. So you had this constant shifting of goalposts where they're trying to argue both positions and, and uh, failing miserably at it. You know, if, if we're being objective, uh, the, the hearing, the witnesses that were called, we had human rights lawyers, we had constitutional historians, we had neuropsychiatrists. I mean, the best of the best in their respective fields. And all of them were in agreement. This is illegal. It's immoral. It's uh, setting a dangerous precedent for pr freedom of press, for freedom of speech. And, and they were all in overwhelming agreement. Now, the question remains whether the judge is going to listen to them. Right. Yeah, I, can I just uh, add to this? Because it's very, very important what you said about Cromberg. Sure. Um, this this uh, U.S. prosecutor who says that he's going to get great treatment, he might not get into this special administrative measures, which wouldn't even allow his lawyers to talk about the case. Mm. Uh, it, he would go completely off the radar. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, um, he also um, m mentioned that uh, um, there, there was citations of this Kromberg affidavits daily, daily, but he was not allowed to be cross-examined. And this is Im very important, I, I think, because it's, if it's somebody that is saying things that are detrimental to the defense and the defense cannot um, um, cross-examine them, um, actually what they did was find very, very good experts. And every single day of the court, I don't know if you agree with me, uh, Richard, we saw the, the defense kicking ass. We saw the yes. defense just, you know... Making a home, knocking run. it out of the park. Yeah, mm -hmm. he was lying, was uh, you know deceiving. They were cheating. They were trying to ridicule and and, right. and make the experts look like not experts. And yeah, uh, yeah. Going a little bit back to the to the media part, it, it is interesting to note that the BBC had a correspondent in in the media oh. section every single day but they didn't report on it. Hmm. And there were only 10 seats. So the BBC stole someone's seat that could have actually been reporting on it. Um, and That's also I horrible. wanted to say about wow. the, the prosecution kept on mentioning a book written by a Guardian journalist called David Lee and Luke Harding. Oh. Um, and they kept on mentioning a, a little phrase that in a, in a, in a dinner conversation, um, Julian Assange said, uh, it, talking about redactions of names, um, Julian Assange said that informants deserve to die. Um, there was one witness, one witness that I know very well, John Goetz. Uh, he was the correspondent for the Spiegel at the time. 
who was president at that, uh, at that meeting, but he was not allowed the, the chance to say that that never happened. Sure. In 2011, John Goetz made a, a, a written statement, which is all over the internet, where he says that this never happened. But the prosecution, you know, decided to go other way. And it was, it, it was you know, there was no way to, to disprove it afterwards. Um, so this is this is the type of tricks that they've that they've been been playing around with yeah. uh, all throughout the the case. Yeah. Um, and and by the way, just going to to the to the part of informants or if there was the, one part of the prosecution that is very very important for them is that lives were put at risk. Right. That's what they say. They don't talk about the millions of people that they killed. Right. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Lives, lives at risk. Well, let me tell you something. Back in 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, the Pentagon had a task force called the Wiki Right. And there was 110 people working on it daily, not only spying on WikiLeaks, but going, going through every single document and trying to find someone that could have been hurt that could have been injured, you know, physically hurt by, by these publications. And in 2013, the head of this task force, uh, Brigadier General Robert Carr, had to testify on, in the Chelsea Manning hearing, so under oath, yeah. uh, and say there, there was not a single person that was harmed because of the same publications that, that uh, uh, Julian Assange is being indicted for. So uh, I mean, this is this is very important because since then we have not heard anything about anybody being killed or hurt by these publications or imprisoned by these publications. So it is. I mean, if it would have happened with the with the with the motivation that these people have against him, you, we're talking about the Pentagon, the State Department, the CIA, the FBI, the NSA. The, you know, everybody, every right. single agency hates WikiLeaks and also government contractors like Stratfor, who published an email in 2011. Well, WikiLeaks published their emails and they said, you know, the best way to deal with Assange is to keep him in court hearings for, you know, in court proceedings for the next 20 years. Well, that's um, really important, actually, because that's exactly what's going on, right? They don't even need a guilty verdict. They're just keeping him in court forever to shut him up. Clear, clearly make, yeah, yeah. And, and making an example for other journalists that this is what happens when you expose war crimes. Yeah, the, the special rapporteur on torture, Niels Melser, who went mm -hmm. to visit him uh, at Belmarsh Prison with two independent uh, med uh, medical experts on torture. Uh, who was very skeptical about Julian Assange? Uh, if you see his interviews, uh, you see that he didn't. He at first didn't even pay attention to the case. He had to, he had to get a second email with some evidence and then start digging up. And he didn't have have to dig up very far before he actually found out that there was a lot going on here. He he went and the three of them made an individual assessment. They wrote their reports and they 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 compared notes. And uh, they they say that he is being psychologically tortured, uh, and this is in the UK, not the US, under you know a, a, in in the Virginia 
prison under SAMS or ADX Florence, where they keep the worst terrorists alive. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, SAMS is a thing that they, they give to people who pose national security threat, right? So, yeah. for example, a terrorist that might communicate through some sort of message uh, to uh, Al-Qaeda cell of some sort, right? Of course, the person that has been publishing secrets of the United States for the last 14 years, well, 13, because he's been in prison uh, for, for a, well, thir yeah, about 13 years. Uh, he's going to he's going to be uh, uh, under Sam's uh, under. So he's not going to be able to communicate, communicate with anybody. He's going to be in isolation for 23 and a half hours a day. And the cell that he has recreation with uh, is a cell. It, it's, a, it's another cell that is an empty cell. He has no right. contact with any other prisoners uh, because that's how terrorists are treated. Right. Clearly, and, and there's, yeah, there's, there's unusual. no precedent uh, to precedent to to anyone that has been that has gone through that treatment that is not of you know they, they're just comparing him to terrorists because there's nobody else to compare him to. Uh, sure. That's, that's how, <laughs> how unprecedented it is. Yeah, th there was a, a moment where uh, again they were citing Kronberg and. <laughs> He his statement tried to make it seem like being placed under Sam's is akin to being sent to a holiday resort, and and you know as Juan brought Mar up this, this recreation right? cell, <laughs> yeah, like like you you can you're allowed recreation in an adjacent cell by yourself, you know, right. and they're saying oh you right. can communicate with other prisoners, yeah, if you scream at the top of your lungs, maybe they can hear something, and you know you're you're placed in there for 23 hours a day, which is actually. Uh, very similar to what Assange is already going through in Belmar. She's in solitary for 23 hours a day. I mean, this is a one point that was very uh, important to to underscore during the defense, which was that it doesn't matter, actually, if Assange is extradited uh, in regards to his health, because the conditions at Belmarsh are also so bad, they could also lead him to commit suicide, right? This is important to know that Assange has already been uh, arbitrarily detained for seven years in the embassy, and he's already been uh, held for 18 months, a year and a half in Belmarsh prison, which is a category A maximum security prison. I was, I was there just two days ago, right? It, it's insane. It's harrowing as hell. Like you, you walk up to the walls. It's, it's, it's unbelievable how large this complex is. And I, once again, just like they held the the a hearing at the back of, and the top of the court at the Old Bailey. I think they also placed Assange at the far side of the complex, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure about this, but um, uh, I think this is also said he can't hear any protesters or anyone uh, showing solidarity outside and uh, try to, um, you know, uh, keep him, uh, br break him essentially. And yeah, just going back to the uh, the special administrative measures, I mean, the, these are really inhumane conditions. And, and sure. the fact that we are having a conversation, that we are contemplating putting a journalist away for uh, almost two centuries in the same conditions that terrorists are placed, what is going on here? This is ludicrous. I mean, uh, the guy has done a public service, and, and Noam Chomsky said this. I mean, every single person who. who who, who testified, uh, uh, highlighted the importance of his leaks. Uh, of course, uh, barring a neuropsychiatrist, they were, talked about his health, but, uh, you know, Carrie Shankman, uh, Trevor Tim, uh, all these journalists and lawyers and Eric Lewis, you know, they, they all talked about the importance of WikiLeaks. And we had also John Sloboda from Iraq Body Count, for example. And this is really something that I can't shake. I, I, I went and looked at Iraq Body Count once again. This was an entire project um, set up to dig through the cables that were given from Manning to Assange. and. 
and catalog all of the the deaths in Iraq, which were not reported, and they ended up totaling fifteen thousand people. I mean, this is enormous. You know, we talk it about uh, yes. genocide and, and and things. I mean, this is like finding a mass grave. It, well, it really is, and. Uh, it's just absurd. I mean, clearly we're looking at these people covering up war crimes and trying to throw Assange, you, you know, lock him up and throw away the key uh, as an yeah. example to other journalists that if you expose their crimes, I mean, we could talk about the DNC emails too. Like it, the, that morphed into Russiagate and yeah, then nobody was absurd. talking about the fact that they ripped off the primary election from Bernie Sanders flagrantly illegally. It's yeah, just amazing exactly. that the entire, you know... <laughs> That they're going you know, after Julian Assange, they're killing the messenger so that they don't have to like they don't have to pay for their criminal behavior. And and no one is I mean, it's just mind boggling to me that the corporate press and no one is even doubting. Like, why aren't they going after George Bush and Donald Rumsfeld yeah. and these guys for what they've clearly committed war crimes? I, I mean, why are they their, going their after names, Assange? Their names weren't even brought up once in the entire hearing. Yeah. Oh, you know, and and just uh, speaking about uh, uh, Russia Gate, I mean, <laughs> once again, the very few moments where you did have uh, quote unquote coverage or reporting, if you can call it that, from the mainstream media on this hearing, it was uh, sensationalism. It was clickbait. And so, for example, you mm -hmm. had um, uh, one instance where Jennifer Robinson, who is uh, part of Assange's legal team. She read a statement to the court about uh, how she was present. This is, I think, August 15th, 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, she was at the Ecuadorian embassy with Assange, and he was visited by uh, a U.S. congressman, uh, Dana Huabaja, and uh, Charles Johnson, who was a Trump associate. And in so many words, they said they have the president's ear, and, and they can essentially secure him uh, some sort of pardon. And I don't even like using that word, honestly, because it implies Assange did something wrong when he actually didn't. Right. But nonetheless, uh, that essentially the, the indictment the, the would be dropped if, if he would reveal the uh, source of the DNC leak. Now, there's a nuance here, because the way the media chose to report this is to say that, oh, the, uh, Trump offered Assange a deal to, to cover for Russia. Yeah, no, that's right. not what he asked him. He he wanted the source of the DNC leak, which by extension would, uh, you know, al um, alleviate any doubts uh, that that Trump allegedly colluded with the Russians mm -hmm. and help Trump politically. But it's not because Russia actually conspired with Assange and Trump. So they were very dishonest in that. And, and I mean, they they're not even at the court. They didn't. They weren't even there. And the, you know, they're they're uh, as as Kevin said, they're like mining other journalists' work, independent journalists who are working with one-tenth, with a fraction of their budget, yeah. and then lying and skewing it to try and revamp and, and reignite this Russiagate nonsense. And, you know, Julian has said himself years ago that this was not from a state actor. So, I, I mean, by definition, you know it's not Russia. It's not a state actor. I mean, what more do you need? And, right. and it just I wanted to highlight their dishonesty, and they tried to do the same thing with his mental health, uh, you know, using that instead of highlighting the fact that Assange is, is um, not doing well physically and mentally because of the harsh prison, prison conditions. You know, they, they, they didn't highlight that at all. They didn't talk about what awaits him uh, in, in the U.S. or what he's going through right now in Belmarsh. Nothing. And they just sensationalized it. And this is, once again, beyond journalistic malpractice. It's, it's literally evil. Uh, so, I mean, right. Can I say something about uh, the whole Russiagate uh, situation? And, uh, um, do you know, Assange... I know him very well. I consider him a friend and mentor because I've, you know, I've spent, um, I, I've helped him build a little TV studio inside the embassy so he could communicate. You know, I filmed him for, I don't know how many hundreds of hours, if not thousands of hours do I have of footage. Um, 
he is the most principled and courageous man I know. Um, in 2012, um, when he and uh, uh, journalist Sarah Harrison uh, saved Snowden, they did it for the only reason that to set a pre precedent that sources could, um, uh, well, apart from the humanitarian aspect of it, but the fact that sources could leak and be safe. That was, that was something that was so important to him. And right. what, knowing that by doing so, he would eliminate any sort of uh, bilateral uh, uh, you know, talks, diplomatic talks in between Ecuador and the UK to try to find safe passage to, to the airport to, to go to, to Ecuador. Yeah. He knew full well that these discussions were ha being being had, <clears throat> and by in by helping Snowden, actually he, they wanted him to go to Ecuador, uh, and the United States uh, removed uh, Snowden's passport uh, mid-flight, so he wasn't able to get the right. uh, airplane that was going to go to Cuba, <clears throat> which was was filled with journalists very disappointed. <laughs> uh, they stuck him in the place where they you know they definitely were not going to get him. Um, he did the same thing with with the uh, uh, Clinton uh, 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 emails and and the DNC mm. and Podesta emails. He was doing journalism. He had the information. He knew that there was cr uh, huge corruption within the DNC uh, that rigged the elections. They, that they were selling uh, Bill Clinton's uh, um, uh, speeches for millions of dollars to get a little FaceTime with the State Department, the, the, the Secretary of State, uh, Hillary Clinton, and all the other uh, corrupt uh, aspects uh, that were found in, in these emails. He knew uh, how, how bad that would, would, uh, would uh, uh, come back to him, you know, because his support base was that Democratic support base in the United right, States. Right, right. And and uh, but he knew also that journalism was more important, and that people needed to know what was going on uh, in the in the in, before they 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 uh, took uh, the decision to vote. And to whoever says that it was WikiLeaks who helped Trump win the election, does not understand that it was. It was Hillary Clinton and John Podesta who wrote those emails. They right. lost the election by themselves. Well, WikiLeaks only gave the information to the public that that made them aware of what they were doing behind their yeah. back. What another example of this, like, here's WikiLeaks showing how corrupt everybody is. And then this group of corrupt people just like pointing to some somebody else. Oh, it must be Russia. And then the whole corporate <laughs> media apparatus going, oh, it must be Russia. Like, we're not yeah. going to look at you because you've been accused here with primary source documentation of, of severely corrupt behavior. We're going yeah. to give us some lame excuse and we're going to go look over there. And then we're going to spend a year and a half on Russiagate 24-7 on the news cycle. Like, that's just what boggled my mind. Like, what are these guys doing? Yeah, I mean – it's not just that, but they essentially you resuscitated McCarthyism. I mean, right. it's it's, uh, it's obscene that that no, has no one learned anything from this. I mean, yeah. uh, also the the as you mentioned the uh, 
a shirking of responsibility and shifting of blame and, and saying that, oh, it's not our corruption. It's you exposing our corruption. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, honestly, not, not to denigrate or downplay the importance of the uh, uh, DNC leaks, but I think that, uh, you know, Hillary was going to lose regardless because of how corrupt she already was. And everyone knew this already. You know, it's not like yeah. people, uh, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, like it's only further solidified that. And I think, I think some of the, the things in the leaks, when you look at your attendant talking about, uh, openly talking about making Arab countries pay for their military occupation. I mean, this is it's lunacy. It's, it's evil. And they have no shame. And they continue to be praised and um, uh, uplifted by the media apparatus and go on as if they did nothing wrong. It's, it's really yeah. crazy. And not to mention the, um, uh, how they shanked Bernie Sanders and screwed him out of the nomination and violated uh, right. every semblance of um, a democratic process. It's a farce. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And um, participation with Saudi Arabia, right? Yes. Right now, the, the, the country that has caused, with, along with the United States and the United Kingdom, the biggest humanitarian crisis in the world or in, in our Yemen. history, in Yemen. which is Yemen, mm -hmm. where, where a kid dies every 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely disgusting and obscene what's happening there. You know, the, uh, um, it's, it's real. I mean, I don't know anyone from Yemen, but like just out of, out of uh, empathy and compassion, you look at pictures of what's happening. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. And, and they, they have no shame whatsoever dealing with these governments. And, you know, it's, it's so funny because they, uh, they claim that, oh, the, the U S and UK are democracies and they govern based on the rule of law and, uh, you know, fair, a fair, uh, uh, right to a fair trial. And they, they uphold all these so-called democratic principles. And then they, they have no problem jumping in bed with governments like Saudi Arabia. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll call some countries authoritarian, like, oh, Libya is authoritarian. Syria is authoritarian. Or we Syria. gotta go bomb them. Right. But Saudi it's Arabia not. is okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the, you know, the, the irony against... is that Syria is actually way more liberal than Saudi Arabia could could ever be. But uh, you know, of course, that's not what they report in the media. Right. And um, yeah, yeah, that drives me crazy. The reporting on Syria is worse than almost anything else that's going on here. We have you know the U.S. empire also coming into to Syria almost definitely because Assad refused to put an oil pipeline where they wanted. Yeah. And then they just fabricate this whole story about how this evil dictator is hurting the people. When, like you're talking about, you're you're looking at the most liberal Arabic leader in the region. <laughs> yeah. How can they even fabricate yeah. this kind of story? And yet, everyone in the United States believes it. I mean, I you know, this conversation can 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 go into a larger conversation uh, about propaganda in general, and and the, I mean the function the functions of the empire. Because, I mean, this is where I've got, and I think a lot of, you know, I've gotten to, and a lot of the people that are going to be listening to this show, I mean, they're already there. Like, clearly, for some reason, it's somehow easy. I, I think Americans don't understand that we are heavily propagandized. They think that we live in some kind of a, a an atmosphere where there's a free press, and that you know, everybody's competing and we're all working really, you know, dil all the journalists are working really diligently to come up with the truth. And there's no way that <laughs> they could all, you know, come up with these propaganda lies. I mean, there's, you know, but I mean, I talk to Americans <laughs> and I can't believe how fooled they are by, by the corporate press here. When to my mind, as someone who actually, you know, does research and looks for primary source documentation before, you know, I, I it's clear yeah, but th that's, that, 
the, sorry know, to cut you off. I just want to say like that that's that's why WikiLeaks is so important because right. it, it cuts through all this nonsense and just it gives is you primary the, the, source the, documentation, right? Yeah, yeah. You, right. And and that's why they hate WikiLeaks. That's one of yeah. the reasons why it's because they actually hate real journalism. They hate that they have to look in the mirror and see their war crimes. And people can just openly look through war crimes. And and one of the things they were talking about in the prosecution, uh, in the hearing, which is absurd, you know, w- when the defense showed them that Cryptome. Uh, published the unredacted leaks first. Um, first, right. <laughs> one of the things the prosecution retorted is that, well, you know, uh, the fact WikiLeaks condemned this drew attention, and the fact they had a search function um, uh, is is what what made them angry, essentially. So, you know, <laughs> if you p- publish unredacted leaks, it's fine, but don't add a search function. <laughs> you know? just, just ridiculous. Just so people know, Cryptome actually published these papers before WikiLeaks did. And with yeah. the un, with the un, with the names unredacted, which is you know because the reason why they were able to do it is because WikiLeaks was trying to redact the names, and now WikiLeaks is getting hammered because the information yeah, and, and, got out, even though it wasn't by them. The unredacted information. John Young, got the, out. the the CEO uh, or the founder rather of uh, Crypto.org, uh, John Young, he actually submitted a written witness statement to the hearing, saying, "I published the WikiLeaks uh, unredacted cables first. And here's the timestamp. And the U.S. government has never charged me with a crime or asked me to take them down. They're still online. Right. What yeah. does that tell you? Know, you? This, this is very interesting. Uh, I want to add something here because this is very mm-hmm. – probably not known. I probably am revealing it for the first time. But um, there, there, was a, there was a plan to, to uh, roll out these cables and increase the, the media partners throughout um, – Throughout the time, the time, right? So they started with the, the main newspapers, and then they were they started adding newspapers around the world. Um, they they added a, a whole bunch of them in in Asia and Latin America was being covered uh, quite well. But then they started realizing that there was countries where where uh, the, the the media just didn't have enough money to to uh, come and get the cables themselves. They had a you know, because of the amount of security that WikiLeaks took through these cables, um, there was a process where the journalists had to come to get the material, etc. Um, but what WikiLeaks was trying to do was to also deliver cables, so then bringing them over, right? But this is this is it is a huge operation, especially if you're talking about African countries, right? You're going to send journalists. Uh, to, to 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 give cables to African nations and uh, the stands etc. Uh, or the Caribbean. Um, so what what uh, what uh, Julian devised was let's make um, a documentary show about this. And I was actually part of the the pilot uh, of the of of this documentary where journalists were sent to. Different that stand countries, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan, Afghanistan, um, and uh, places in in the Caribbean, including uh, um, the Bahamas and, and other countries like that. <clears throat> and journalists were were filming themselves and filming the situation in the country and talking to the local journalists, and they would receive the cables from their countries. Um, and that was that was part of the the rollout of of, of cables, and this was going to be broadcasted in Australian TV, TV I think. Never never uh, finished because um, 
because uh, the Guardian published a book with the password of the yep. encrypted file, which contained all the decl declassified uh, um, documents before before the year and a half uh, rollout of, of these uh, uh, cables uh, happened. Hmm. And there was a system through which each, because uh, this is the thing, you're talking about 250,000 cables from every single country. First of all, if you just give it to the main news channels, they don't know about every single other, right? But, right? but these cables are from every single country in the world. And, and, they, and, and the only way to do a secure um, um, censoring of names that, were, that could be placed at risk is by having local professionals do it. Mm -hmm. So there was a, a system in place wow. where every single journalist would would uh, copy the the um, the cable and put it into a system and redact it with 12 X's. We heard it on the on the trial. Uh, yeah. This is so that doesn't matter the length. It was always going to be a redaction of 12 X's, and that would also count for any additional information like locations or that type of stuff. And and the journalist would select what date and time that cable would go online on the WikiLeaks site so that it would match when they would publish the, the, their article. Uh, and that's how, how it worked. Huh. Yeah, it's yeah, just fascinating. I mean, I mean, when you hear the real story of the level of integrity that Julian Assange was actually applying to, to WikiLeaks on all these levels, and then they try to flip the narrative in court and pretend like, He, he just wasn't doing enough. He wasn't being diligent about this. He didn't care. He was putting people in harm's way, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it, Clearly the it, opposite. It's absurd. I mean, Juan obviously has a uh, firsthand experience right. uh, and, and, uh, uh, and a firsthand account. But uh, just uh, from what I heard in the court, from what we, we saw in the court, I mean, uh, Goetz, uh, John Goetz, who you mentioned earlier, who was uh, working for Sunday Times and Spiegel, um, he participated in the redaction process. Uh, Italian journalist uh, Stefania uh, Morizzi, she was uh, also involved in the redaction process, and e everyone um, who, who participated in that, uh, they all testified as to how exhaustive and extensive the, the redaction process, the process was. And as Juan just mentioned, this was a long over a year and a half, and it only was halted because of the irresponsibility of uh, David Lee, who published the password in uh, his book uh, through, you know, through The Guardian. And Uh, of course, Der Freitag, which is another uh, German publication, they essentially told everyone, yeah, the file is online, you know, essentially sending everyone on a wild goose chase. And then surely enough, a few days later, it was out. But uh, WikiLeaks, you know, the, the prosecution tried to paint uh, Assange as being reckless and careless. And once again, I want to highlight what a moot point this is, because we're, you know, the court is glossing over the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of victims of, of uh, these war crimes, the sure. torture. And, and, and focusing on informants uh, that, were, uh, that don't exist. You know, uh, uh, this um, Brigadier General, which uh, Juan uh, brought up, uh, this task force that they had uh, from, 20, uh, from 2009 to 2011 um, at, the, uh, at the Pentagon, they, they came back and they couldn't find anyone who's uh, uh, harmed by WikiLeaks. Sorry, not, I, I can't remember the, the year of the publication, but I think it was after 2011. Yeah, so, so the task force was afterwards. And... Uh, you know, they came back essentially and said that we couldn't find a single person, not one. And um, nonetheless, they still went after Manning. They still went after, they're going after Assange. And still to this day in 2020, they're still talking about 
informants that were hurt by WikiLeaks, which don't exist. They're imaginary. Yeah. They, they can't show us a single one. And uh, pretending and that Julian saying, Assange and WikiLeaks what, were what reckless. What they're saying is hurt is that they had to move country. You know, that they, they caused them some psychological pain. <laughs> uh, yeah, because, well, I, I'd like to know what what kind of PTSD the uh, drone strike victims have. I mean, you know, it's it's, yeah. it's obscene. Like it's it's re- really quite literally um, uh, a supremacist uh, trial in a way because they're just openly departing from this point that the lives of U.S. informants are worth more than any one U.S. Um, informants or U.S. soldiers or U.S. Uh, drones. You know, it's it's really it's like. We're, we've already accepted this notion in the general psyche, right? That we're proceeding with this. It's insane. And uh, yeah, once again, I just wanted to highlight how this this myth put forward by the prosecution, there was no redact- redaction process, is absurd. And it's really ha- indic- indicative of how they're grasping at straws because they're trying to argue that they're not going after Assange for the collateral murder video, which exposed war crimes, because then it will be very obvious that they're trying to cover up war crimes. So the way that they framed it is they're saying, well, we're going after the cables, which he didn't redact. The and, of and engagement, actually, the, the collateral murder was published alongside the rules of engagement. So they're, they're charging yeah. him for the rules of engagement, which were classified, uh-huh. but not the obvious murder of journalists. And yeah, it, uh, of a father and the, and the, uh, and uh, two, very wounded children that 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 were fatherless and the only reason they were saved is because their father uh threw his body on top of them uh, and and by the way the united states uh, refused to take them to the military ho- top notch military hospital that they had because they were iraqi children so they could go to whatever shithole right. of a hospital <laughs> that was nearby but going back to to the m- mainstream media point again mm-hmm. um i just want to <clears throat> point out that not very long ago before the hearing started we were uh, I've, I've been doing quite a lot of uh, live uh, streams and a question was asked to a mainstream journalist uh who is for assange and he and that understands the grave implications to media freedoms, not only in the U.S., because it would basically mean the end of, of the First Amendment, right? This is what they're right. they're talking about, the end of freedom of speech, the First Amendment. Right. Uh, and that extended to the rest of the world because the United States can, uh, you know, push its, its laws into other countries. Mm-hmm. But uh, the question was asked right now, Right now, before the precedent is set, because there's no ruling yet, if you get something uh, of of the nature of the Snowden, you know, the same level as the Snowden revelations or Chelsea Manning revelations, what you publish? Uh, and, and, and the journalist said, yes, of course we would publish. I call that bullshit. You know, at the very worst of the, of the spectrum, they would self-center censor very 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 much you know they would not publish as 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 wikileaks has mm-hmm. like we we saw in the panama papers they published what like five percent seven percent of the panama papers right that's yeah. that's what journalists deemed important but not not what lawyers deemed important or other individuals that might uh or ngos might find important because journalists don't know what's going on in every single issue in every single country, right? 
mm-hmm. um, and uh, and this is what makes it different. But also, they, he he, and you know that's that's at the very very worst. At the very best, uh, they would publish everything and they would go to prison. Uh, but I think that they feel that they they are still protected by their mainstream status as yeah. journalists. Journalists are not touchable. There's this guy who's a bit weird. He's been vilified for years. He's a monster in the eyes of a whole bunch of people. You know, we're not Julian Assange. We're we're not going. It's quite funny. In the same in the same conversation, he said yes, we would publish, and then. By the end of the conversation, he was saying this is the end of journalism. So it, it is it is in their minds that they cannot be touched by the government as Julian Assange can. But they're next. They're you next. Know, Everybody's next. What What's yeah. almost fascinating to me, though, is how many mainstream n- journalists have no desire to publish anything that goes against the mainstream narrative or would, would impugn the government in any way. I, you know, I, I mean, it's almost and, and I don't. You know, I'm not trying to say that all journalists are a part of some kind of grand conspiracy, but they themselves are kind of sucked into this mainstream narrative. Well, everybody talks about it like this, so this is probably true, and I don't want to go outside of that mainstream narrative. I might because I might lose my job, or my boss isn't going to let my editor's not going to let me talk about it like that. Or I mean, there's just so much mm. social pressure, I guess. And and I, so let's go back to what you were talking about publishing the DNC emails because Julian Assange himself clearly understands that his base at the time in the United States was primarily with the American left. And so he's going to publish these, he's going to expose the corruption within the Democratic National Committee. And so, you know, what happens? Well, his his entire Democratic uh, base is, is pissed off at him for exposing their party. And then they're kind of susceptible then to the mainstream narratives that start to come out that say, oh, look, he raped these ladies. And now, you know, he's this terrible misogynist. And then now, you know, he's he's uh, colluding with the Russians. I mean, they were so ready to, to jump on board. And where do these narratives even come from? I mean, I tend to be a little bit far out in that in, in the spectrum where I don't have a problem recognizing that the United States government and 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 their corporate actors that they work closely hand in hand with produce a lot of propaganda. Uh, and the American people, I think, don't recognize that they're exposed to that much propaganda. I want to say, oh, I just remember a quote, and I know the guy, uh, John P- Pilger, right? Um, yeah, yeah. He said he used to cover uh, behind, the, behind the Iron Curtain back in the 80s, and he came out with something, I believe this was him, don't quote me necessarily, but back in, in the 90s, I think I read this quote from him, where he talked about how uh, the difference between people who lived behind the Iron Curtain and people who lived in the Western world was if you lived behind the Iron Curtain, you knew when you read propaganda, you knew the news was propaganda. When you lived in the United States, you thought the news was just, you know, the product of a free press. (laughs) And you didn't realize how much the messaging and and the narratives that are produced by the corporate press are just basically corporate propaganda or corporate government propaganda since they work so closely together. Um, and I know, you know, here in the United States in 2012, they repealed what was this called the Smith-Munt Act, which prohibited the government from, from financing propaganda directly in the United States. But most Americans don't know that because it's not covered in the American press. So, you know, I just think there's a lot of manipulation going on 
Um, and because the, the government corporate complex wants to cover their ass in terms of the, the fact that they're war criminals, that they're profiting immensely on the backs of the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people in the Middle East and all over the world, um, you know, they just need to shut Assange up. Just like we were talking before about how, um, you know, they just don't even, they don't care if he's found guilty. They just want to keep him in prison for as long as possible. They're going to stretch this thing out for as long as they can. It's not even about justice. It has nothing to do with that. It's just about making his life miserable and punishing him and using him as an example to other journalists that they cannot yeah. cover the the war crimes. They cannot you know, this is not right. You can't expose us for the corruption that we engage in or else we're going to we're going to assange you, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's a warning. But it's like, I don't know. You know, I guess the point that I'm trying to drive home here is that Americans don't see this and, and other journalists don't see it. I don't think I think they just take in the propaganda and then they think, oh, Julian Assange is a rapist. I hate that guy. And, you know, I don't, I don't care if he goes to prison for the rest of his life or whatever. And they don't realize the extent of what's actually going on. I mean, it just takes a lot of personal work to do real research. And we're surrounded by misinformation in this day and age. Um, the censor, well, I mean, Yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll let you guys take it. Go ahead, Richard. Yeah, by the way, sorry, I just remembered the, the uh, referring to before the Information uh, Review Task Force. That was 2013, summer 2013. So, yeah, but uh, just talking about uh, the character assassination and the smears against Assange, I mean, mm-hmm. um, I think it's Nils Melzer, the uh, uh, UN Special uh, uh, Rapporteur on Torture, who said himself that uh, it's much easier to vilify, uh, or rather it's much easier to accept the persecution of Julian Assange, if he's vilified uh, by the media, you know, as uh, working with Russia or, oh, he's, he's not a journalist, he's uh, a cyber criminal, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think he made that point. And it, it is true, uh, not just, I think, for uh, the general public, but yeah, especially for journalists, you know, you would think, uh, logically speaking, that journalists, uh, other, uh, whether they're independent or corporate, you know, they should be the first in line to be outspoken about this issue because mm-hmm. it concerns them. And yet we see this acquiescence. We, we, we have this, this silence from them. And, uh, you know, at the same time, I tell myself, well, <laughs> these people never publish any real journalism anyway. So e- even if, uh, God forbid, you know, Assange is uh, extradited and convicted, it's not like they do any real journalism or national security journalism. So, I mean, they, even if Assange is convicted, it won't change anything for them because they're, they're always on board with the propaganda. They don't actually report anything that would land them in jail, right? right. But nonetheless, it's still an abomination. I mean, uh, it it's, it's goes beyond journalistic malpractice. They're, they're cogs in the machine. And, you know, Noam Chomsky in his, elo- in his very eloquent witness statement to the court on day 17, uh, he said that this is not about national security. You know, these, these cables that WikiLeaks published, the things that Assange published, they're not about national security like the prosecution claims. They're about the security of the people who rule uh, the the world, essentially. You know, the ruling elites, the the corporations, the people who are running the show. It's about their security because uh, what he did is he brought the um, – you know, the, the governments maintain power over the, the general public in the dark. It, it's a force that isn't seen. Again, I'm paraphrasing from Chomsky, right? Mm-hmm. And so he said that what Assange did, what WikiLeaks did is, is bring that into the light and in the light – power evaporates, right? When you expose them for their, uh, their true nature, when you expose them for who they are, which is war criminals, uh, people who profiteer, um, who, who uh, run rackets, who corrupt democratic processes, then 
people wake up to that and their power evaporates because their whole uh, game runs on brainwashing and PR. And, and that's why people are propagandized heavily because it's, it's one of the most uh, uh, important industries, so to speak. You know, right. he, Chomsky, I think uh, he said uh, that, you know, the ruling elites realized 100 years ago people have too much power. So they have to uh, undertake these um, PR exploits in order to keep people brainwashed, essentially. Right. I'm paraphrasing again from his witness statement. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he, he said that uh, Julian Assange did a public service. He did a, a great service to the world. And I completely agree with that. And, uh, you know, um, what they're what they're doing here, I, I don't know if they're actually uh, hoping to, to uh, kill him, God forbid. But I, I do think that they want to extradite him and convict him to secure that legal precedent so that they can go after other journalists. All right. You know, and it's, it's really worrying. It's really worrying. We, you know, once it's, it's done, once he's, um, if he leaves the UK, it's, it's really, I mean, I don't yeah. see any turning back from that. So it's really right now that we have to put in the work and, and fight for him. I mean, even Sorry, if they uh, don't take him out, I know we're, we're running out of time and I want to make a little bit of a complex um, no, no, go ahead. We, well, I'll go for another 30 minutes if, if you guys have the time. So let's, uh, let's flesh this All out. Right. Mm -hmm. Cool. Because, yes, I wanted to kind of mix two, two things uh, here, which is how, they, how they've managed to vilify this, right? So first of all, I'm going to go back to the cables uh, and how, how there, there, there's this new term called lawfare, uh, which not many people know about, which is the mixture of, of the word law and warfare, right? Law, warfare, lawfare. Um, so going back to the for email, keep them, keep them on, you know, different uh, judicial proceedings for the next 20 years. This is, this is a part, right? We know, we know the U S pressure because of, of the documents that, that WikiLeaks has re revealed, we know that uh, the U.S. can exert pressure on a government to the point that it can it can affect the judicial system. And we're not talking about any governments here. Uh, the cables exposed two uh, cases: one in Italy, where um, Italy refrained the, the United States threatened Italy for, with. Um, with um, uh, um, you know uh, worsening diplomatic relations, if they yeah. followed through with this CIA torture uh, case that they were having, and then we have the Khalid El, El Masri case, mm -hmm. an innocent civilian um, who who was uh, um, kidnapped by the CIA in Macedonia, and then uh, tortured for for months, sodomized, you know, spat on, beaten, uh, um, be and, and then dropped in the middle of nowhere in Albania without any passport or anything. Um, uh, he was also, he's also a German citizen, um, and he started a legal process. And through the WikiLeaks cables, uh, we found out that the, the U.S. threatened Germany from with with serious repercussions if they followed if if they if they uh, uh, pursued an arrest warrant for the uh, CIA uh, and this is in, in in this case was was um 
was dropped at the time. And it was only because of the cables that Khalid al-Masri was able to go to the European Court of Human Rights hmm. and then get compensation from countries like Macedonia. Um, and uh, so, so we see the same thing happening. Well, I mean, we don't have the documents to prove it, but the Crown Prosecution Service has been in charge of, of the Swedish case. And we know from documentary evidence, uh, that is emails, that, that, uh, that were uh, given to uh, a, a, a journalist under the Freedom of Information Act, uh, Stefania Maurizzi, where the CPS says, don't you get called on me trying to delay the, um, the, the, uh, the Swedish prosecution from sending somebody over back in 2011 to interview Assange. We have to understand that the Swedish case, it was a preliminary investigation, which was closed before Julian even left Sweden. It was, it was over um, before he left Sweden. And then a politician in another part of the country where Julian never was, um, his name was Klaes Bogstrom, uh, reopened the investigation with, with a new um, uh, prosecutor. And, and then the, the case stalled for, for, uh, for years. Uh, and, and uh, you know, this very common practice of, of um, them sending somebody over from the prosecution to interview uh, a person in a preliminary investigation, there was never charges brought, the women say they had consensual sex with him. So there is no way that it could be rape if the women say it's not. And there's text messages saying that the police are trying to railroad them. Hmm. And there, there is, there is uh, evidence that the police uh, altered their police reports uh, after, um, you know, in the middle of, of, of this whole thing. So there's been, there's been irregularity after irregularity, after irregularity, since 2010. And since December 2010, Julian Assange has been under some sort of arrest, be it in a prison where he was for about 10 days uh, in London. Then he was put under house arrest. Then in 2012, uh, fearing extradition to the Sweden, which would then be sent uh, extradited to the United States, which is what he's facing now. Um, he uh, he uh, he went into the Ecuadorian embassy, who gave him asylum under uh, after investigating the case and 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 knowing that what he was actually uh, un under threat of was an extradition to the United States where he could face the death penalty. You know, Ecuador didn't give him asylum for you know protecting him because he raped somebody in Sweden. That was ridiculous. Mm. And Ecuador consistently throughout these seven years asked the prosecutors to send somebody over to the, to the, to the, to the embassy to, to interview him to close this, this case. The case, they finally did it on year number six, I think, of his stay. They, they closed the case because there was no evidence of any wrongdoing, as the uh, prosecutor said. Then he was he was uh, uh, there there was a change in government in ecuador uh, the new president sold him uh, for a 4 billion dollar imf loan 
uh, that was uh, given the day after he was he was uh, uh, sent, uh, uh, you know, arrested and, and kicked out of the Ecuadorian embassy. Right, uh, and then that, the case was the Swedish case was reopened again and then reclosed again for a third time right. because there was no evidence. I mean, this is how crazy this whole situation has been, you know. Yeah, and I recall that Assange was willing to go to Sweden if they could just guarantee him he won't be extradited. Which, again, if you think about that, what would an extradition be for? WikiLeaks. So it has nothing to do with the the rape trial. No, and it was it was even more specific. It right. was it not extradite him to if the US. he was extradited for his practices as a journalist and publisher. That was all right. Was okay, so so you you heard it straight from Juan. I think that's a very reasonable request, and it indicates that he was willing to face any any kind of justice that they they uh, wanted. But for some reason, they they wouldn't oblige him. And that seems quite odd. And when you look at the WikiLeaks cables about how the U.S. is able to engage in lawfare, as, as we mentioned, uh-huh. uh, with Italy, with Germany, with all their Western European allies, it, it just uh, referencing uh, uh, Snowden, I mean, uh, they thought he was on board Morales' plane and forced a presidential jet to land here in Vienna. I mean, the, 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 the violation of international law is unbelievable. So when they want to, they are more than able to pressure their uh, quote-unquote allies, bully them is the right term. Yeah. Uh, into submission. So I think that's very uh, odd that the, they wouldn't allow Assange to actually go and uh, deal with this matter in Sweden and uh, left the door open um, for extradition. That's quite, I don't know, that's that's bizarre. And Juan, you they brought broke, up another thing. The Vienna Convention in Vienna, right? That's just so... Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the irony, the irony, and, and also this violation of... Uh, Ecuador sovereignty spying in the embassy and you know the fact that I, I asked Fidel about this um Fidel was the the former consul for um for Ecuador in the embassy and, and uh you know they gave Assange a diplomatic passport at one point right which we referenced earlier and uh apparently the UK just wouldn't accept to register him as a diplomat yeah right so they said if he steps out the door they will arrest him and violate the uh, Vienna Convention. So, well, isn't it funny? The, the countries that take the moral high ground the most often are the ones that are then like, "Well, now actually, that law is inconvenient for me, so we're just going to go ahead and arrest you anyway." Oh, actually, we have these yeah. special forces assassination teams, or you know, we can finance a color revolution if we don't like what you're doing because you know we're the good guys. I mean, yeah, just outrageous. Like clearly, these laws mean mean nothing to uh, the people at the top of the pyramid here. <laughs> yeah, even the rules of engagement. I always found this puzzling because they they act as if uh, whatever they write in their rules of engagement supersedes international law. I mean, it doesn't matter what you write in your rules of engagement. You can't gun down civilians and reporters. And uh, you know, they they're trying to do this now with the UK as well with the in, with the overseas operations bill, which is to legalize war crimes. It, it doesn't matter if you legalize right. them in the UK. You're not allowed to just kill and torture civilians. You 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 know you don't supersede the Hague and Geneva Conventions and the UN Torture on Convention because you say so in your own law. This is well, such arrogance. It's really right. unbelievable. And then now they'll hire, uh, you know, corporate mercenaries and be like, oh, these people have immunity to any local laws or whatever. They're just corporate mercenaries that we hired. So they don't have to follow any of these laws. It's no big deal, you know? Yeah, oh, which was man. the case uh, with a lot of people at Guantanamo, uh, sorry, at uh, Abu Ghraib in, uh, in Iraq, right. where, uh, you know, they, they use these uh, private contractors, yeah. uh, some of them from Blackwater, uh, you know, just absurd, uh, really obscene. Yep. You know, yep. one of the final days of the court, uh, we heard from uh, an expert witness. In one morning, 
uh, we heard from three witnesses, which only one witness would suffice to that that complete trial that day. First of all, we heard from from an expert uh, in uh, in federal courts, and uh, in uh, and and she talked about uh, the 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 population. Uh, surrounding the the Eastern District of Virginia, where he would be tried, um, right. and obviously she mentioned that you know eighty percent of the people there are either NSA, FBI, Homeland Security, the State Department, uh, sorry, the, the Department of Defense, uh, or or private contractors or their family members. So there is absolutely no way for him to get a fair. Ju- jury in mm-hmm. that um, in that court, right? So that's that's already one reason why he should not be extradited, right? And then we hear from two witnesses um, that um, that w- that are whistleblowers. There, there's so many ironies in this case, right? There's whistleblowers from the uh, company that was hired by Ecuador to protect Assange, uh, who were then spying on Assange for what they call their American friends, what David Morales, the owner of UC Global, that company, uh, referred to as U.S. intelligence, uh, and what uh, they say is most likely the CIA. uh, And they worked all, and all this was through uh, Sheldon Adelson. And Mm -hmm. um, they they describe uh, on... uh, um, they describe uh, uh, their, how how they um, they you know installed new cameras with microphones. They put microphones on underneath uh, the uh, uh, fire extinguisher. They used laser microphones from outside, and they put a little sticker. The sticker on the window said, "You know, this building is surveilled by surveillance cameras, so you wouldn't know." Yeah, about it. But the reason. The reason they put that sticker in was because uh, Julian had a little uh, noise uh, machine, which was, by the way, really, really annoying because you could it gave you a headache. It was like right. white white noise, like a television, sticker, right? To keep pe- to keep people from listening. In. You, what, that sticker would allow them to to re- to to counteract the noise machine so that they would be able to to hear him. They put a microphone in the bathrooms uh, because Julian would go uh, to the bathrooms, put the faucets on, and talk very low with his lawyers there. And they, in, in the court, they describe how the lawyers were their main target. Um, yeah. And there's there's so many crazy, crazy stories. And I just uh, want to I just want to make it clear for the listeners that so this company UC Global was hired by the embassy to protect Julian, but then was through the back door, the CIA or some U.S. government intelligence agency was able to sort of infiltrate and then start <laughs> and then start using. Oh, it, was, it was actually it was actually not that the the, the U.S. intelligence uh, wanted to uh, manage to infiltrate it. It was mm-hmm. that the owner UC Global flew flew to a convention looking for a contract. Right uh, from these. Uh, he was he was a full 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 thrown mercenary, and it's actually in the papers. Um, you know, there's there's terabytes of of uh, audio and and video um, in in these in in this Spanish case, uh, um, 
And I'll tell you a little bit about the backstory. So it all started because Ecuador does not have security in most of its its uh, embassies because you know Ecuador is a peaceful country, and right. unlike the United States, they they don't really need security, especially in a country where you know policemen policemen don't carry guns usually, like like the United Kingdom, and you know it's uh, their embassy is right beside a very famous store. Uh, Harrods, you know, the, yeah. the son of the owner of Harrods was dating Princess Diana. It's a very, very expensive area. And it's this tiny little flat, tiny, horrible, little claustrophobic flat where no sunshine comes in because it's surrounded by big, tall buildings. Yeah. Um, and um, and uh, Julian had one room inside, inside the embassy. Uh, and half a little office where where he did the, his his video conferencing. But anyway, so once Julian get, goes in, um, they 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 need security, right? So they try to apply for visas for their security guards, the Ecuadorian securities, to come into the country. But their visas are denied because they could be spies. They could be members of the intelligence agencies. So. They're stuck with with finding somebody that could operate security that uh, within Europe, and this little tiny uh, company, UC Global, uh, was hired to protect Rafael Correa's family, uh, and so they thought, okay, we'll just hire th- these guys. You know, they're 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 from Spain. They can start providing the the security. So they installed some cameras. It was it was. It was very obvious from the beginning that they were not only interested in what's hap- what was happening outside. And I just want to remind you that as soon as the, 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 the day before they announced the, the asylum, um, um, the, the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Ecuador said that they would announce the asylum soon. As soon as that happened, it was about 5 p.m. Uh, in, in Britain hundreds of policemen just surrounded the building they were rappelling down the building huh. it was incredible so you know wikileaks being wikileaks and knowing how you know how espionage works uh you know you know julian being an expert in the nsa um they knew that there was spying going on they knew that the the internet connection was probably right. It was absolutely, definitely being spied upon, at least by 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 MI6 or GCHQ, which is the equivalent of the NSA in Britain. Um, but uh, what happened was in 2016, this this guy David Morales goes to to a convention center, uh, which happened to be Sheldon Adelson's convention center, Las Vegas Sands. Uh, and Sheldon Adelson, for those who, who don't know who, who that person is, he's a, he's a, a Las Vegas magnet, a big Republican donor. He's given some like 50 million to Trump and also given quite a lot of money to Mike Pompeo. Um, and um, um, in 2017, so when he gets back from this fateful trip, he tells his employees we're playing now for the big leagues and when they ask him what what do you mean the big leagues we're going into the dark side right 
one of the witnesses who is protected witness uh, is his business partner. So I don't know how well protected he is because it would be pretty easy to find out who he is. But he's obviously scared enough. And the, the judge in Spain thinks that, you know, the, his adversaries are are scary enough that he's granted him uh, anonymity. Hmm. Um uh, he conf- confronted Morales and said, you know, we're breaking our contract with Ecuador by doing this. You know, who are we working for? You know, the Americans. And then he goes on to say, you know, I'm a full-thrown mercenary, opens his his uh, um, his shirt like that. And and uh, it, this, in, this is in the documents, right? It's hilarious. Uh, and he says, we're working for the American intelligence. Yeah. Um, and uh, how... how how they found out, how we found out about it was because um, one of the um, uh, one of the people from UZ Global blew the whistle on on uh, on the company uh, when the day that Julian Assange got uh, went into jail. He, they called up uh, his lawyer, and the guy says, "You know, you don't know me, but I know you very well. You've been one of my targets. I've been listening to your." conversations i have, oh, I have just photos crazy. Of you, I have videos of you right. i have your id you know all your documents and and that started the case um you know they raided this guy's house they arrested him he had um guns in his house with 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 a serial number wiped out and yeah. you know thousands of dollars in cash and um you know, there's there's IP addresses uh, in Virginia and in Las Vegas where he was going once a month uh, and sending emails from, and it's the the IP address for 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 where he was going is is the um, the hotel Mission um, Hotel, which is owned by Sheldon Allison. Yeah. Um, so it is the theory is that. Uh, uh, both the head of the security and the head of bodyguard, Sohar Lahav, were involved in liaising with the intelligence agencies and they had access to the server uh, from Virginia. So I just want to make it clear for our listeners, right, that that so U.S. intelligence was spying on Julian Assange, his his meetings with his doctors, his meetings so with his doctor. lawyers. Yes. are getting recorded by U.S. intelligence who are now part of the same organization that's that's prosecuting him for what he's done. So this is this right. is uh, grounds for any lawsuit or in the history of the world should be thrown out at this point when yeah. the prosecution is spying on a, a defendant's conversations with the lawyers. This is clear violation of the fundamental principles of any kind of a, of a free trial. And so they the trial should be thrown out. American this. politicians that came to see you, Julian uh-huh. Assange, they were spying on American citizens, right? Like uh, Glenn Greenwald, huh. um, you know. And they 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 went through their telephones. They they opened their telephones up, and they would, uh, you know, write their IMEI numbers, and they would try to find out the password and get their contacts and get their anything that they could get a hand on. Right. Uh, to the point that Pamela Anderson's phone was, was completely like hacked. Huh? Yeah. It's, you know, speaking of uh right to fair trial, I mean, Daniel Ellsberg 
Yeah, uh, his case was thrown out because of government misconduct because they they broke into his uh, shrink's office and tried to get dirt on him. And what UC Global and the U.S. intelligence services have done here with Julian Assange is way worse. I mean, it's 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 leagues leagues worse than that. It should it should immediately be thrown out. I mean, this is a a well, gathering of tainted evidence. It's a violation of his privacy. Uh, like I said, he's not going to have a fair trial in the U.S. It's going to violate his right to a due process. It's there's no law, there's no jurisdiction where this is not illegal. So, and this goes back to what we were talking about. One more thing, one last yeah. thing. When when Julian Assange was arrested, um, all his belongings were there. Um, yeah, hard drives, you know, uh, computers. Um, um, you know, everything, uh, everything was seized by the Ecuadorians and was handed over to the FBI. And that, that was also, that was also, I remember there was a shelf, a huge shelf with, with, with these big binders of legal stuff, legal papers. And these lawyers would come in and they would, you know, sift through lawyer stuff, contracts Mm -hmm. and, you know, everything that was concerning any legal case that Julian Assange had <clears throat> was given to the FBI. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then to add on top of that, the fact that this uh, Niels Melsner of the United Nations is going, checking him out and saying he's undergoing psychological torture, cruel and unusual punishment, uh, even though he has yet to ever have been found guilty of any single crime. Um, I mean, just so many reasons to throw this out. It's it's really nuts. And and then so I wanted to kind of come full circle. We were talking a little bit before about how, I mean, not not only the war crimes have been normalized since since say the 1960s, early 1970s, when the Pentagon Papers came out, when Daniel Ellsberg was going through this, and and um, another example that was brought up in in one of the uh, interviews. I've watched previously to this conversation was the May Lai massacre, where Seymour Hirsch comes out with with this information about war crimes in Vietnam. He gets a job at the New York Times, and uh, y- you know there there's criminal prosecutions going on to the soldiers that were doing the the May Lai massacre. So what's going on in the last? I mean, clearly in the last fifty years, we can see this slow normalization of this kind of behavior, where now. It's the journalist that goes to prison when the war crimes get exposed. And, and yeah. everybody's like willing, uh, you know, not only that, but like we're not seeing. I saw, I'll bring this up and then we can kind of wrap it up around this concept. I saw one uh, interview on 60 Minutes with Julian Assange. And this was shortly after he was in the embassy. He goes into the embassy, he seeks asylum, and he gets an interview with this guy. Uh, and I'm pretty sure it was on 60 Minutes, not not 100% going from memory here. Um, but it was a prominent American journalist, you know, and he's talking to the journalist and the journalist is saying, well, you've exposed a lot of information that's, you know, national security and, and you're really going against a lot of uh, American principles here. You know, just a lot of basic, Amer- you're exposing a lot of, of the important work that the United States is doing and you're making a lot of people in the United States angry. And Julian Assange is sitting there trying to explain to the guy, like, well, I thought I was exposing this corruption because, it, you know, freedom of speech is an American principle. I thought I was, like, upholding these American principles. 
States and trying to solve some of your problems or help you solve some of these problems so that the United States can continue on as this bastion of a free society, you know? And it yeah, was just so exactly. funny to, and the, and the, the journalist was almost confused. Like, well, you're exposing national security issues and these things are classified documents. And Julian was actually confused. Like they couldn't talk to each other because Julian's trying to convince him that I, I thought I was acting in accordance with American principles. And I don't understand why, you know, Americans don't have my back here. Like, and what's, what is going on? Why don't people have Julian's back? It's just insane. Clearly this guy's getting railroaded. Clearly they're doing it to cover up these egregious war crimes. I mean, murders, a million Iraqis have been killed in the last 25 years by U.S. foreign policy. And so yeah, it's, it, what's it's going on? Because what's going on? The, it really shows their true colors. It exposes their true colors because when it comes down to it, they don't actually care about uh, freedom of press or freedom of speech. Right. They're more interested in serving the national security state. And so to them, it's just what the just like what the prosecution said. You know, I'm putting putting this diplomatically. They, they have to balance, quote unquote, balance national security with the First Amendment. That means when you expose war crimes and you, you show things to the public that are detrimental to our uh, American exceptionalism, then there's no First Amendment. Then national security comes first. And that's why mm -hmm. the journalists and Assange were not understanding each other. But, you know, speaking of interviews with Assange, one thing that I really enjoyed, I think this was with um, it's from 2011, I think this interview uh, with The Guardian, if I'm not mistaken. I, I'm not 100 percent sure, but uh, it was in Australia where he, he filmed it. And uh, he said that um, he's glad that he's not the only one who has to. Uh, check whether he can go to a certain jurisdiction or not and be arrested because Donald Rumsfeld also has to do that now. You know, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was 2011 with uh, yeah. with a, a, a journalist from from Australia. Uh, right. It's great. It's a great interview. Mm -hmm. um, but it's funny this this concept of un-American. I don't I don't really get this un-American concept. Um, and it, it, to me, it's very interesting that, and it, it maybe highlights a little bit about the the ignorance behind what WikiLeaks is, because because WikiLeaks isn't isn't an apparatus to 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 just leak or just publish information related to the United States. It's published right. information related to to every other country in the world almost yeah you know it's it's published um in in uh, in um about 2009 if i'm not mistaken in the uk there was there was some dra draconian laws um regarding uh injunctions and an injunction is is a court ordered um um gagging order for a media uh, and there was something called a super injunction, which meant that you couldn't even report that you were had an injunction, right? And then uh, there was this massive case uh, concerning uh, uh, a company called Traffic Gura, uh, which was uh, um, doing um, chemical dumping in, in in the Ivory Coast, and it was killing, uh, you know, and intoxicating children and families and all the local people there and and the the guardian was about to to release this and they get a super injunction because it's a big company they have big lawyers the court gives them a super injunction hmm. so what they do 
is they gave the material to WikiLeaks. And WikiLeaks released the material. Um, and then the Guardian was able to go to the court and say, look, this is in the public domain. We should be able to report on it. And they were able to do that. The same thing happened in Iceland. Um, there was, uh, during 2008 uh, crash, the banks in Iceland were, you know, had a huge, huge crash. And it was because of corruption. They were lending their owners money without collateral. And it was, you know, millions and millions of dollars. And then um, this report was coming out. Uh, actually, it, it, it came out on WikiLeaks first. The, 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 the material came out on WikiLeaks. But nobody really paid attention to it because it was this really obscure website uh, that, you know, in Iceland, 300,000 people, you know, nobody don't know about it. Uh, mm -hmm. But Kristen Krafsen, who is now the editor in chief of WikiLeaks, found out about it. And, and they were going to they were going to do this on air special report. He used to work at the national broadcaster at the time. And um, five minutes before they go on air, um, the. The, the, they get a call saying you cannot report on this. The first time in Iceland that they get an injunction. Oh, wow. Uh, so the presenter goes, you know, well, these are our headlines, blah, 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 blah. And now the story that we were going to talk about, uh, we cannot tell you about because uh, the court has said so. But you can go to wikileaks.org. I repeat, wikileaks.org to see the story. And now we go on to the news. There's also been cases where, for example, documents from the Church of Scientology have been published. Mm -hmm. And the Church of Scientology sued uh, WikiLeaks in, in, uh, in, in California and lost uh, badly to them. Uh, actually, the DNC sued uh, uh, WikiLeaks in New York and lost badly to them. Right. You know, uh, there's there's been there's been leaks about the environment. There's been, uh, you know, th there's documents of, about banks, corporations, not only America. It just happens that the United States is a big influence in the world and it does a lot of bad stuff. Right. And, and, <laughs> yeah. And Go that, figure. There's uh, a lot of documents that, that and, document and, this. And they end up, uh, you know, people end up leaking it because it's important. Well, you know, what's funny, and you're making me think about this, like I remember when the DNC links came out, leaks came out, and then all of my uh, left-wing friends, you know, start hating on Assange because of uh, his quote-unquote, you know, he, he's working for the Republicans now. He must be a big Trump supporter kind of thing. And I would actually, like, text them, here's the dirt that he just uncovered on the Republican Party. You know what? Why don't you talk about that? I mean, like, it's so funny. Or he must be a Russian intelligence asset, but here's the documents about what the Russian government's been up right. to. Like, he's not picking on the Democrats. They just are corrupt, you know, yeah. just like you're talking about. He's not picking on the United States. It just happens to commit a lot of war crimes around the world. And so there's a lot of documentation of it. I mean... Um, yeah, once again, so it's like, let's shoot the messenger and try to shirk the responsibility and shift the blame instead of focusing on the crimes. Exactly, right? exactly. 
I think we're going to have to wrap it up. I'd love to talk for a, probably another hour with you guys about the state of the corporate media and what's, you know, what's going on in the world in terms of the fact that this objectively, it's so difficult to get facts out there. I mean, almost like WikiLeaks itself, you two who are trying to get just the facts, like get the yeah. facts of the trial in front of people, let them make their own decisions. But it's almost impossible to do that. And then you've got this mountain of mainstream narrative that's that's trying to it makes where people cannot make objective decisions or, you know, based on the facts, because there's just so much innuendo that's floated as fact in the mainstream. It's so frustrating. So just it really is. appreciate that the two of you a are, are, are covering this as closely as you are so that there is a historical record. And there are some people out there, if you're interested, you can find the information about what's been going on with the trial. Um, but um, B, just working as independent journalists uh, and um, fearlessly getting your own word out um, and, you know, not uh, not participating in, in creating a mainstream narrative that really is not just based on the facts. So um so appreciative of your work and so appreciative of the fact that you've come on uh, to our Thank program you. to help us to to help you to get the word out. And hopefully we won't be too shadow banned by because we're talking hopefully. about this. Right. <laughs> we'll, we'll yeah, have I, would, I would yeah. just like to end with two things. Okay. One is. This case importance as democracy is as, as, as important as democracy. If Julian and is prosecuted in the United States, it, it ends journalism as we know it, and we will lose our right to know what the governments do in our names. And mm -hmm. second of all, this might actually get me prosecuted under the Espionage Act, but if you're discontent with what your government is doing, wherever that is, or your company, or whatever work you are doing, uh, and you have information of public relevance or historic value, and it, ha it and it's and it, it's documents that are being suppressed. Go to WikiLeaks.org, and at, at the bottom right hand side, there's a there's a button called submit, and there's instructions there that uh, allow you to 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 be anonymous. And um, believe me, you will be because WikiLeaks has a hundred percent record in accuracy in their reporting, and it has a 100% record of never revealing a source. Mm -hmm. So you're safe. Yeah. And we can still exist, and it will continue to exist. Actually, yesterday when it was its 14th, 14th birthday. So That's right. go ahead and click on that button, submit. <laughs> and where can people find out uh, more of your work, Juan? Where should they go? Uh, well, they could go out. On, tw on my Twitter, I don't know if you can edit it because my surname is a little bit hard to, to for some people. But if you go to JL Passarelli, that's P A S A R E L I, or you can just go on to Google and search for the war on journalism, uh, the case of Julian Assange, uh, which is a lot simpler. You'll be able to see my latest film. Uh, I also have films about the war, uh, uh, the gang wars in uh, in El Salvador and uh, Europe's last dictator. Who uh, well, I covered the 2011 elections, which were brutal uh, to dissenters and opposition members. And uh, you know, he's been recently on the news because of the same thing. Uh, 
you know, torturing and and uh, and crushing dissenters and, and and opposition members. You know, putting them in jail, uh, putting uh, you know, uh, painting a room and putting them inside that room and making them uh, breathe uh, the, those fumes, putting them in stress positions for a very long time, beating them up. Um, so you can, you know, I have filmed on a whole whole, whole bunch of stuff. Um, so yeah, just right. Google my name, Juan Juan Passarelli. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it. I'll point people to the to the Twitter feed. Or if you want to go to the WikiLeaks channel, I've made most of the videos there as well. Cool. All right. And uh, Richard, any final thoughts uh, and contact information? Yeah, so I, I agree 100% with uh, uh, Juan, who does amazing work that, you know, this trial, this extradition hearing, uh, it's going to have grave ramifications, really far-reaching uh, implications for press freedoms all over the world. Because the fact is now that they're not just trying to convict uh, journalists under the Espionage Act, but they're also doing it through extraterritorialization. They're they're reaching all the way into Europe, into the UK, and, and snatching a journalist uh, who's who's not even <laughs> British. She's Australian, and and yeah. you know making themselves uh, uh, bestowing upon upon themselves the authority to decide what can be published, who can publish. I mean, what's next? You know, you can have a uh, uh, you know Mexico is stealing journalists from. Uh, you know, Puerto Rico and bringing them over to be uh, tried. I mean, it's, it's never ending. We can't have this happen. This is not unacceptable. So um, we really need to fight for Assange now. We really need to do that. And it's, it's, uh, it's going to take all of us because even as it is, independent media, half of them are, are uh, not doing their jobs. Mainstream media, forget about it. And, you know, it, it's not just about journalists. I want to thank the activists also who queued up from early in the morning, who stayed outside all day, uh, banging away and chanting and protesting in front of the court, uh, not just now in front of the Old Bailey, but also at Woolwich and in, in, in front of Belmarsh uh, Prison in February, and who are really so dedicated. And the, these people are the backbone of this movement. You know, they're they're out there in the in the wind and the rain and the cold, uh, fighting for uh, freedom of speech and freedom of uh, press when no one else is. So so bless them. And and really, I want to um, tip my hat to them and. Sh- respect and uh, respect to uh, to Juan and, and Kevin and all the other journalists who covered this hearing when no one else you, would. You were out there. In, no way. Yeah, and if people want to find my work, when, uh, they can go on uh, richardmedhurst.com or uh, youtube.com slash richardmedhurst. You'll find all my stuff. I did um, reporting every single day on the hearing with uh, video reports uh, for each day. There's a playlist you can find there. And uh, yeah, that's that's it. You were you were there at uh, at Piccadilly Circus, weren't you, Richard? When yeah. the elderly man got arrested, weren't you? Ah, exactly. There's uh, a guy called Eric who's really gentle and sweet. He's 92 years old, and uh, I was I was going to upload the video on on YouTube in a in a bit uh, where we were protesting. I mean, I came to film the the um, vi- vigil that they had going for Assange, and. Um, you know, the police just came out all of a sudden, and uh, first it's two, then it's 10, then it's 40 people, oh, wow. uh, 40 police. Yeah, and they just broke it up and, and made everyone go home and, and threatened them with arrest. And they actually arrested one of us, uh, but uh, he was free shortly after, so that was okay. But they were even bothering Eric, who's 92. Like, it's just stupid. And, uh, of course, uh, they bothered me when I tried to film in front of Belmarsh Prison, even though the activists go there every Saturday and film and live stream and bang away with their instruments and everything. They don't bother them, but when I went to film two days ago on Sunday, they bothered me for some reason. Just sure. walked out, told me I can't film. 
Yeah, I hope if if anything, our listeners take away from this the fact of the how serious this actually is. That when Julian Assange goes down, then all of us who are you know active members of the Fourth Estate really looking at what the powers that be are doing uh, and um, trying to stop the corrupt behavior that is really stealing the life from all of us normal human beings uh, in the world. You know, doing this really important job. Uh, of protecting everyone from these very powerful actors. Um, you know, when Julian goes down, we all go down because uh, suddenly the the authority figures do say, well, hey, you're pointing a camera, you know, I, I can just crush you. They did it to Julian, I can do it to you. So uh, the precedent is extremely dangerous. Uh, and again, thank the two of you for the work that you're doing to expose what's going on and Try to Thank reverse you. the rising tide of authoritarianism that is, seems to be overwhelming at times for sure. So um, I'll just tell people really quickly that my long form interview show is The Shift with Doug McKinty. And you can check me out on Facebook or YouTube at The Shift with Doug McKinty. And I'm on Twitter at D McKinty or on the web at theshiftnow.com. So you can get all of my stuff, uh, my other interview program the shift there or uh, you can get all these roundtable discussions at transparentmediatruth.com or transparentmediatruth on youtube so thanks everybody for listening and thanks again to the two of you for participating in this and helping to get the word out and so we'll do our part uh, to spread your knowledge as far as we possibly can and uh, hopefully again start turning the tide here so that uh, journalism becomes something that we're allowed to engage in without being scared of what might happen you know so all right, you guys have a great day, and Thank uh, thanks again. Thanks, thanks for having me. Really a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Take care, guys. You too. Well, all right, ladies and gentlemen, what a great twentieth uh, round table discussion I just had with Juan Passarelli and Richard Medhurst. Uh, what a great couple of guys. Really happy that these independent journalists are covering the Assange case, since we really are getting almost no coverage from the mainstream corporate media on this one. Uh, Richard was even describing the story of how the BBC reporter would show up, take one of the few seats uh, that were uh, relegated for the press at the trial, and then not report on it. So it was actually taking space away from other independent journalists that might be reporting on it more. Considering the importance of this case, some of the information that came out here, that we're talking about a situation where an Australian citizen is getting tried in a British court to get sent to the United States for laws theoretically broken uh, in, within the United States. So this means if this, if this goes through, if this extradition goes through, and then Julian is prosecuted uh, in the United States for this crime, that the United States government basically feels justified going anywhere in the world and picking up journalists that reveal a classified information Uh, which shows criminal behavior by corporate and government elites uh, on all kinds of levels. And um, to set this kind of precedent, it really puts such a dampening on the fourth estate. The function of a healthy uh, journalistic class is to watch uh, the elite class, the establishment, for corrupt behavior and to bust them on it. And when uh, the fourth estate is not doing that, well, I mean, you know, the situation gets pretty dire. Then the corrupt class can just continue to be corrupt. Uh, they can hide everything behind these class, this classified documentation. And uh, whenever somebody busts them, it's just called a national security issue, and they lock you up and throw away the key. So this is such an important issue. Um, I also want to bring up this second point of the UC Global 
company, the company that was the CIA then hired to actually spy on Julian Assange in the Ecuadorian embassy. These people, um, these people were listening in on his conversations with lawyers and doctors and basically breaking every confidentiality statute in the book. Uh, Daniel Ellsberg, as I think Richard mentioned, Daniel Ellsberg of the Pentagon Papers had his trial for basically the same thing, at least within the United States. That trial was thrown out when it was discovered that uh, Nixon's plumbers had um, had broken into Daniel Ellsberg's psychologist's office to look for dirt on Daniel. So this kind of behavior typically results in a mistrial, uh, and instead the prosecution is rolling ahead full steam and pretending like what they've done wasn't against the law. Um, so just so frustrating, the more that you learn about this, I must admit I left the conversation and I was actually a little bit angry. I mean, it's really amazing. It's hard to watch what's happened to Julian Assange. We're watching this, uh, what basically is psychological torture, according to Niels Melsner, the UN rapporteur on torture. Uh, he's been observing the case and saying that this is truly cruel and unusual punishment for a person that hasn't even been convicted of any crime. Uh, clearly... The elite class telling the rest of us, you, you know, shut up or this is what's going to happen to you. Um, so this is just a super important case. Uh, and I really appreciate uh, you listening to this episode and uh, appreciate Juan and Richard for coming on and really thankful for their work uh, to cover this trial and get this information to us uh, without any kind of mainstream or corporate support on this one. So um I also wanted to take a moment to say that Rob and I were really interested in having these guys on for another reason. Um, we're, f we're, you know, as 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 uh, producers of this program, we're really trying to transcend the left-right paradigm. I mean, for us, uh, a spade is a spade, corruption is corruption, and to try to politicize things is a, a divide-and-conquer tactic that we're really trying to overcome. So we wanted to have these guys on. Uh, they typically identify as progressive journalists. A lot of these ind independent journalists do. And uh, we wanted to have them on to bridge that gap. And uh, so one of the things that you're going to see from Transparent Media Truth going forward is we're going to try to have uh, as many, not, not just left-wing or right-wing journalists, but we're going to be trying to get everybody together and try to come up with a more comprehensive uh, political worldview um, that uh, creates a narrative that all people from across the political spectrum, I think, can agree that corruption is corruption and it needs to be stopped. And, and I think that's the number one uh, issue in politics, in global politics today. We're just seeing a massive amounts of corruption, so much money going through the government, and nobody in the fourth estate doing the job of catching these bastards, and certainly nobody in the Justice Department actually prosecuting them um, for, you know, the, the waste uh, the corruption, the money laundering, I mean, the list goes on. Um, the regulatory agencies and their revolving door uh, and the corporate interests that are that are getting no-bid contracts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so just want to thank these guys for being on the show. A lot of what we've covered would be considered right-wing, but these guys came on uh, our program and really wanted to uh, help spread the word about Julian Assange. So uh, Rob and I really want to extend... Uh, a warm welcome to them, and we hope to have more journalists like them on in the future. I just want to give you out there information. If you want to find out more about Juan Passarelli's work, you can get on his Twitter feed. That is at JL Passarelli. 
and you can get information or just go on the web and look up uh, look up Juan Passarelli or look up the war on journalism um, and you'll find his movie come up there and you can check it out. I can tell you that it's worth the watch. He really did have access to some incredible uh, interviews and he really uh, gets the story across uh, just as plain as day. So uh, also you can check out Richard Medhurst uh, at Richard Medhurst on YouTube. He's got all of his, uh, all of his coverage of the Assange case plus um, dozens of interviews that he's done in the past. I highly recommend his interview with Glenn Greenwald. Really good work, and of course, uh, Glenn Greenwald's uh, analysis of foreign policy is just spot on. So it's it's good uh, to check that one out um, and uh, and uh, support Richard's work. So uh, also, I'll just let you all know that I am Doug McKenty. My other podcast, my long form interview show, is The Shift with Doug McKenty. You can check that out at on Facebook at The Shift with Doug McKenty, also on YouTube. My Twitter handle is at McKenty, and my website where you can just see all my work in one place is www.theshiftnow.com. Uh, as always, I just want to remind all of our listeners that if you like what you're listening to, please like and subscribe and especially share what you're hearing um, in these days of, of shadow banning. Uh, we really rely more and more on listeners like yourselves to help distribute the pro- this, uh, this program. Uh, so if you like it, let your friends know about it and uh, move it on down the chain so more people can listen. Uh, as always, I want to thank Rob Rubin for producing this. You can find this roundtable and all other roundtables at uh, Transparent Media Truth on YouTube, also www.transparentmediatruth.com on the web. Uh, and you can contact Rob directly at, tra- at TransparentMED1 on Twitter. So thanks again for listening and checking this one out. Uh, we'll be back at you next week with another episode. So stay tuned for that, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Take care. The opinions and ideas expressed in this roundtable discussion do not necessarily reflect the views of Transparent Media Truth, but only those of the speakers participating in the discussion. Under the Copyright Disclaimer within Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976, allowances are made for fair use of public content for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research. Fair use is a use permitted by copyright statute that might otherwise be infringing. Nonprofit, educational, or personal use tips the balance in favor of fair use.